Hey guys, what's going on? It's Jeff. A quick note before the show begins. The audio from these podcasts mostly come from live video YouTube streams on my channel. They may vary in quality from show to show and reference visual content not described to you, the listener. I'm sorry about that. If you prefer video to go with this audio, head over to youtube.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S for the whole enchilada. Who doesn't like a whole enchilada anyway? Okay, we are live. Hello. Hello out there. Oh, hello out there in YouTube land. What's going on? Welcome to tonight's show. Whoo! I'm a little low energy tonight. Gonna was looking forward to this show tonight, so I'm gonna try and try and pick up pick up the mojo, pick up the energy, get it going. Um, what can I say? Oh yeah, we got our lime bubbly, the lime bubbly seltzer. Um. Man, I gotta tell you, I was hey, what's going on? How you doing, Jose? Welcome, good evening. Um, I had a lot of fun last week. That was a fun show. Holy crap, what was last week? Dude? Oh no, two weeks ago we did the last show, and then last week we did uh song interpretations, which was a lot of fun. Hey, am I still here? Did I just lose my my thing? Hold on, let's take a look. No, I'm still here. Hi, what's going on, Sahara? How are you? Welcome to the show this evening. Yeah, last uh, last week was a lot of fun. Um, I'm a little somber tonight because the reason why I'm low energy is, I guess today is the anniversary of... Not failure, but deep, profound setback. What's going on, Rumork? How are you? And it's leaving me feeling a little melancholy. I'm a little melancholy. I'll, I'm going to explain it to you guys. That's what I'll do. I'll explain it. So before I started talking, <laughs> before I started talking on the internet, we have our one-year anniversary in 12 days, you guys. I don't know what we're going to do for the one year. We got to celebrate. Um, but, uh, before I started talking on the internet every week, I was, I am, I am a filmmaker. That is who I am inside. That is my, 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 my purpose, my life, my life's dream goal, whatever. What's going on, Mr. Message? How are you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a filmmaker and, uh, you know, uh, last year, on this day, I completed work on what was supposed to be my second feature-length film uh, called Wash Away. It's named after a, a TSOL song, one of my favorites. And um, it was, uh, we shot 20% of the movie, just about 20% of the movie in 
God, what was it? Um, a weekend. Uh, it was a lot. I don't know how many script pages it was, but we shot a lot uh, in this house where I live upstairs. Here, I'll let's go to the let's go to the post. I'm gonna share share show and tell time. I'm gonna share. So this was this was the uh, this was the day. So here I am on, on the set. This was to be my second feature length film, and uh, you know, making a movie is like a war. You know what I mean? Like you go out there. Oh, I love the lighting in that one. You go out there, um, you try to prep as much as possible. Look at the blood in the sink. Um, you go out there and, and just try to do the best you can. You just, you just do the best you can, especially when you don't have money. And I, you know, everything I do is funded out of my pocket. I don't have money. Uh, I work day jobs so that I can try and do this stuff. Uh, and, you know, the thing about making a feature length film is like, it's like you're literally trying to will something into some sort of existence um, from your imagination in the same way that like a musician hears a melody in their head and takes lyrics and writes a song. Like this is like, a multi-dimensional version of that because what you're doing is you're taking music and picture and art and like, you know, like set dress and, and, and actors and trying to align all these things that you're trying to replicate from something that you thought up in your head and bring some version of it to life. That's why you should never, ever, ever crap on a film, no matter how bad the film is, not even Veronica by Glenn Danzig because you don't know how hard it is to bring a movie to life. And uh, this was the 20%. These are stills from the 20% that we shot. And as you can see here, I had a boom. That's how I was doing my sound. And there's me manning my rig. And I had, um, I had a, a helper. That was my actress. Um, keep him with the, uh, the, carrot theme, <laughs> the carrot themes in my movies. And we had some really cool lighting. I was playing with all kind of all kinds of lighting. That was my main actor. And it's kind of funny how I literally adopted this haircut and beard a year later. I think it, I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional. Um, but you know, that the, there's my exposure chart, so I knew what what was exposed and what was not exposed. And um, some 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 props, some party favor props. And uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a crazy, crazy endeavor. And we, we got all of our pages done. We weren't sure we were going to make our day, but we did. And, um, and then what happened was COVID hit literally the next weekend or one year away, uh, sorry, uh, one week away or a few days away from the big shutdown, right? Actually, I guess two or three days away because right after this weekend, COVID hit and we were no longer able to do any of this work. Um, you know, I, I don't even, you know, it, it takes a lot of extra money to be COVID compliant and on a micro budget level, that's just really, really, it's even more difficult, especially if you're being, if you're being ethical about it, we were trying to be ethical. It's actually even, it's kind of painful to even look at these stills right now, but I'm doing it. This is kind of a, a therapy for me as I, as I warm up here before the show begins. Cause I feel like if I, if I don't talk about this now, then I'm not going to be able to have a good time. So I'm just, I'm telling you how I genuinely feel 
right now in this moment as I, I mourn um, something that, you know, and I still have all that footage. I don't know what's going to come of it. But what happened was, you know, my main actress, she, she was expecting a baby. She got pregnant. And my other actor, he was, you know, feeling very uncomfortable about the COVID stuff. He was in the city quarantining. It was impossible. And then I lost my job. So it was the only source of income. And I literally threw in the towel. I threw in the towel on it. And, um, you know, it's kind of weird to like look at this a year later, look at these photos and realize that like in a, a year has passed. And not only have I resurrected the, the Misfits project, but now I'm, I'm doing all this live streaming. I never imagined that I would be doing this like for as long as I have and just trying to grow my channel. And, you know, I made a promise to myself today. And, that, and this is where I really am going to end this. I swear I just lost like 50% of the people that were watching dropped off. I, I understand why. Um, the, uh, the reason why um, I'm, I'm sharing about this, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm going over this right now is because I'm, I'm making a promise to myself right now the same way that I made a promise to myself 10 years ago when I started working on the Misfits project, I swore that I would complete that project by hook or by crook. And now here I am actively engaging that goal. And I'm telling myself now, or I'm, I'm imagining the future Jeff talking to the past Jeff. I know this sounds a little self-absorbed, narcissist self-absorption right now, but I know that the future Jeff is telling past Jeff, hang in there, man. You're not going to give up. You're going to fucking figure this out. You're going to keep going because here's the thing. I like who I am when I'm doing this stuff. I never liked who I was in my day job. I'm dead inside when I'm working a day job. I hate that shit. I hate it. This is who I am. The guy talking to you right now doing the show, that's, this is me. And you want to know something? I like who I am when I do this stuff. So I'm never going to stop. And as I said in the very first episode almost a year ago, what happens is, this is the creation of the mask. What happens is sometimes I use, <laughs> I use putty to do that. Um, sometimes you, you, uh, it, you don't have to give up. See, that was, I'm really proud of this actually. This was, I had done a sketch. This was my sketch. I decided that I needed a device and I drew it and it was supposed to be a nitrous inhaling device because my main character gets ripped on, on nitrous. And then here it is six months later in the flesh. That's the device. And it's a tire pressure gauge thing with a little nitrous canister. And that's the type of stuff I get off on this stuff, man. I was like, I brought it to life. This is what I mean. I thought about it, what it was in my head. And that's all I could imagine. And then when I tried to apply it in the real world, that's what I got. And I, man, I just... That is just my jam. Same thing with this, Uncle Moo. This is Uncle Moo whipped cream topping. You could recognize Nicholas Cage here. And this was my design for Uncle Moo. Right here, you could see how I sketched it out and I wrote Uncle Moo. And then I literally, I, I willed it into existence. I brought it to life. There's Uncle Moo with Nicholas Cage. It's caffeinated whipped cream topping. I love making fake props. And this is Almer's, like Almer from Brain Damage. You know, uh, <laughs> no wrinkle rubber cement because he huffs that stuff in the, in the, in the movie. And I don't know what's going to come of the footage. Like I said, I have 20% of the movie shot. Uh, I'm going to do something. I don't think it's going to be 
the vision that I had because just too much time has passed and I've lost actors and I just don't think I'm going to, it's never going to be what it's going to be, but it is definitely, don't send that. It's definitely, I'll do something with the footage. And, you know, I like to document the process. That's what the mask was. Look, guys, once again, see, that's what the mask started out as. And then I used this clay to build that mask. That was like the, the, the hero prop. And I printed out, these are business cards for a prostitute named Cherry. Um, and then, <laughs> look, Uncle Moo. Uh, it says, it will take you to the moon. And as you can see here, this is the Twin Peaks design underneath. I thought that was a really cool design element. See, I love doing the stuff. And uh, and what I did was I hollowed out a whipped cr whip cream can. And I just, yeah, because the main character gets high on, on nitrous all the time. And uh, I just thought it was a great sort of thing. And then I was like, well, eventually it his his addiction to the nitrous progresses. So he starts using this gun and he puts the canisters in the gun right here and he wears this breathing mask. And so it's like, you know, it, it, it all works It all. He just breathes in the, the, the nitrous and um, yeah, dude, that was uh, yeah, that was on, on the set. And I was so, man, I was terrified um, because I had never worked with such a skeleton crew. When at the last time I made a movie, it was me and one other guy this time it was it was also me and one other guy, but I was really running. I was running everything, and uh, we were just. I was terrified. I, I was so afraid it wasn't going to work out, and it did. Okay, we just went around in circle, and God, this was such a great gag. If you noticed here, there's an actual eyeball. There's like an eyeball prosthetic on the ground. This is supposed to be the finale of the film. He gouges out his eyeball with a spoon. It was a crazy idea. It was a crazy movie. Um, like I said, I hope to do something with that footage eventually oh look at all these comments i didn't even see these how you doing horace i'm glad you made it rue that's right manifesting the vision that's what you got to do glenn said creep show is right yeah, yeah yeah returning tapes you're 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 spoiling our fun here just wait we'll, we'll we'll get to the flip side stuff in a minute thank you for listening rue i appreciate that um and I'm glad that my stories are, are you're indulging my, my stories. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys, you guys rule. <laughs> it's right. It's a whipping machine. That's exactly the point. Um, Got to drop off, man. Blah, 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 blah. Yes. I, yeah. Well, I have Rocky. I just was watching my Rocky tape. I was, Rocky told me the 12 minute version in his, in his thing. Like a side bong for whip, side automatic bomb for, bong for whippets. That's kind of what the idea was. It was an automatic whippets bomb that, you know, you you bong, sorry. You put the mask on and then you squeeze the trigger and then you breathe in the nitrous and go. <laughs> that was the that was the plan. Um, yeah, semi semi-automatic whippet bomb. That was the goal. That was the goal. And he wears that at the very end of the movie. Um, that was wash away. So we'll see what happens. But like I said, it breaks my heart, you know, just like, again, you know, making a film is also like, it's like your child, you know? And so when you see your, when your child, something bad happens to your child, you know, you know, creates melancholy, your artistic child makes you melancholy. But the good news is, listen, on the flip side, um, the misfits stuff is going great. Oh my God. Did I just fuck that up? I closed out the wrong bookmark. Son of a bitch. I got to find it again, you guys. Damn it. 
that was stupid. All right, I'm going to keep stalling while I look for my content that I just X'd out. I had it, I had it for so long, and then I, I X'd it out. All right, we'll find it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm still going through the, um, the Bobby Steele interview, and it's great. It's just great. There's just hours. There's hours of, of Bobby Steele to pour over, and I love uh, revisiting the stuff. He really, man, he hooked it up. He hooked up. Okay, I just found it again. Good. All right, I have my content. Bobby really hooked it up, man. Um, is that a gray area? Are whippets straight edge, or is that a gray area? Of course whippets are not straight edge, dude. That's like getting high on nitrous, man. You can't get high on nitrous. If anything, Jeff, you could have characters in a movie watching other footage you shot. Yeah, horse, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Eventually, that footage will not go to waste. I spent too much time, money, and preparation, as you saw, to let that footage die. Um, I thought, I was like, wow, I'm so ahead of the curve. I shot one-fifth of the movie. You know, my first film took me 18 months to make, uh, which you can get. Check out the links below. You can see it's called Romeo's Distress. It's named after a Christian death song. You can watch that. As well, that's available for rent on Vimeo for two bucks. Um, so yeah, Bobby Steele, man, wow, what a uh, my god, his memory is so sharp. You know what I really love about these Bobby Steele interviews right now? Um, the, the best part about the Bobby Steele interviews is, you know, Bobby doesn't talk about that stuff anymore today. It's like impossible to get him to talk about it, like. Even just when he did the thing for 1979, where he like talked about Joey right after Joey passed away, like I, you know, he talked about a little stuff, but like he was not really trying to like dive into that history anymore. He's sort of over it, you know, and I can't blame him. I can't blame him. He just kind of wants to move on from it in some aspects. Um, but it's amazing to look at. I have four hours and 33 minutes of Bobby Steele talking about the misfits and it's amazing what's going on chris how are you welcome to the show it's amazing he just he just goes on and on and on and the details so many details that i forgot from this interview so many wonderful nerd like details that you all are going to enjoy so i'm really uh savoring i'm about a quarter of a way through of those four hours and 33 minutes and then it's on to the next one and here's the plan here's the plan stand so instead of going through all 100 tapes Right off the bat, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my Misfit guys. I'm going to take, I got Rocky, uh, and I got a couple other interviews that I think are pertinent. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to build the skeleton with the Misfits and Rocky and whoever else, the people that were actually there, the people that lived the history, because um, I can then take a look, I could step back, look at it and go, okay, now I'm going to add this guy. Now I'm going to add this guy. Because I kind of know who is best to go where. And the thing, if I'm being honest with you, the thing that, that worries me the most, it's a worry that, is, that has a solution, but it's a worry. The solution is that I need to gather more footage. But the worry is that some of these areas that I'm hoping to fill in are going to be a little sparse because I only got one guy who's really in authority on this. Or I got two guys instead of having four or five guys. You know what I mean? And then other areas, it's like super flush. And I feel like I got a lot of people for this story and for that story. Um, and then whatever whatever is left over from that, whatever gaps are left over, I will just I will fill in the gaps and it will be good. Um, so there's that. Another thing, 
Uh, I don't know if you guys watch punk rock NBA. I just started really like diving into this dude's this dude's stuff. This dude's a genius. I really want to just recommend his channel. I really like his content. I'm like kind of like taking notes going like, I want to be more like, I want to be like that guy mixed in with like, I want to be that guy, but like doing more of a Joe Rogan-ish thing, like like a combination of these two things. Um, and, you know, so it's like not as much B-roll. I don't know. But um, yeah, I think that's going to be a lot of fun or a lot of, a lot of, fun becoming that or trying to become that. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Punk rock NBA. Check that out. Um, oh, we got ballad back. Ballad of the broken. I want that night of living dead music video and the footage they shot for skulls that they did the same day for brain eaters. If they did the same day for brain eaters. I also want the uncle Floyd. Don't we all ballad? We all want that, but we're not going to get it. We're not going to get it anytime soon, at least. All right. So, I don't really think I need. Oh, the one last thing I'll say before we we launched into the show is um, I, there is a podcast. Some I, she's a stripper, some stripper lady who um, uh, hung out with Glenn um, after before or after one of the Misfit reunion shows. Like this podcast is hilarious. You guys got to check out this podcast. I I was laughing. I was really laughing. I, I don't know how anybody could ever hate. On Uncle Glenn, I think like it were the picture that was most painted of me of Glenn. If you're just hanging out with him day to day, he's a curmudgeon guy. He's just a curmudgeon, you know, like a lovable curmudgeon. And, uh, you know, that's why I just like don't understand like the, you know, why people get all uh, twisted up about Uncle Glenn. When you think about him as like a grumpy curmudgeon guy, like level in a lovable way, um, it, it just sort of like puts all that stuff together. But it was very interesting to hear her talk about it. I'm not going to comment on it on the show for a lot of reasons. But um, to hear her to hear her talk about it, she just t- comes from a very unbiased place, even if she's not a good storyteller, even if she's just sort of like, you know, a little discombobulated. Uh, I felt that she uh, expressed unbiased honesty um, just from her perspective. And it was very interesting to hear what she had to say check that out i don't know if it's still up i think it was taken down in a few places but i that gave me a good laugh i really cracked up watch watching that um what else can i say guys i have videos coming almost every day now i'm trying to do that i've been culling lots of clips you're going to see lots and lots of clips coming i'm actually a little behind on the metadata and um thumbnail stuff also for anybody who is into Batman and Superman and that whole thing, we're going to do a Snyder, the Snyder cut commentary sort of situation. Yada, yada, yada. All right, let's start the show officially. So check out how we're going to start the show. I, I did a little thing yesterday and I am surprised at how many people thought it was funny, like totally understood what I was doing. It was just a total goof. Like, um, but people seem to appreciate it. And I'm glad they did because I thought well, I was going to get a lot of like, what the hell? <laughs> this is so stupid here. I'm going to play it for you right now. This is, I, I made this specifically so we could start the show this way every, every time or whenever, like we'll have the pre-talk, which is right now. And then we'll, we'll go in. This is going to be the thing that, that starts up the show. Hold on. I got to, here we go. Video file. And where is it? Where is she? There it is. All right, ready?
you should be able to hear. He's gonna talk about the misfits right now. He's a nerd about this stuff, obsessed anyhow. Jeff never shuts his face, always needs to talk. My eyes are somewhere, if he went out for a walk. Do you think that he cares? All right, there we go. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Did you like that? Um, if you're new or just joining us, please make sure to stay like, subscribe, leave a comment, um, that sort of thing. That's our new intro. I was just like, I had been like, kind of like humming a theme song to myself. <laughs> you know, Jeff is going to talk about the misfits. I just thought it was funny. So I decided to write a little ditty. And you can see the lyrics. I, I uploaded it elsewhere. You can see the lyrics somewhere on the the other of the other thing. And I literally, it was just like I I did that. I must that I must have done that in twenty minutes. It, it was just so quick, quick little thing, and uh, threw it up on the channel. Okay, so we know that Glenn Danzig is a lot of things, guys. He is a lot of things. He's a musician. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He plays guitar, bass, drums. He plays the piano. He's a composer. He composes uh, classical music, if you can call it that. He is a cinematographer. He is a writer. He is a director. He is an actor. Um, he is a tour manager. He is – actually, I don't know if he's a tour manager. He is a manager. He was a record label owner and runner. He's a graphic artist. He's a photographer. And he does illustration. He runs a comic book company. He's an art dealer. What else could Glenn Danzig possibly do? I mean, the man does it all for better or for worse, whether it's really good or really bad. He does it all. And um, this was like, I mean, I always kind of knew about this, but like, it's really kind of weird to think that Glenn Danzig was also a movie critic. That's right. Glenn Danzig, for a period of time in the early 80s, wrote these tiny little movie blurb reviews for Flipside Magazine. And he did it for years. I mean, for years. He loved doing it, you know, and in tandem with the fact that all of his bands are dark and, you know, about the either the horror on the silver screen or the horrors of real life or just the dark side of the world, you know, it all ties in with why Glenn would be a movie critic writing about the things that he knows best. And Glenn is very knowledgeable. Let me tell you something. If I ever got, you know, obviously I think my dream interview would be Glenn Danzig, right? I would love to interview Glenn. I would just, God, for hours, I would just sit and, and pick his brain and talk to him. And it would be a, probably the hardest interview ever because you know, much like a bunk, bucking bronco that doesn't want a cowboy on his back, Glenn would would not would not comply. He would he would be uh, what's it called? Um, he would contra he'd be contradictory, and he would be abrasive, and he would I mean I don't know, just like a bunch of stuff from all the stuff that we've seen. Especially if maybe if you're if you're coming close to the truth, he's going to say the exact. He's going to be a contrarian. He's going to say the exact opposite of the truth. Why? Because he doesn't want people to know 
beyond the mystery. By the way, if you notice, I'm using this this long phallic microphone uh, again, my shotgun mic. And if if I cut out or get robotty, I need you to let me know because this thing has some bugs. But I figured that I really need to get off the, the dinky headset um, audio. It's really been bothering me for a while. So I'm I'm back to the old way of things. Some of you will know that this is the old way of things. I know Rumor will understand that. Um, so yeah, so just let me know if that happens. So we're gonna we're gonna go through all the things and uh, all the all the movies and and again I want to shout out this guy again for just collecting this stuff in a place where it's just so easily accessible and that is the original Fiend Crypt guy Aaron he he this guy just like again like some sort of like compulsive savant like just organizes and puts everything in a meticulous little folder for us to look at. So let's give a shout out to him. I got my, my lime bubbly and I also have um, my Virgil's zero sugar root beer because not only are we not going to drink booze, but we can't have any sugar. Why? Because for some reason I can't enjoy in some of the more bacchanal, pleasures of vice in my life gave up smoking i don't drink i don't take drugs what the hell is wrong with me seriously what the hell is wrong with me okay so let's pull these up and we'll just go through and talk about them and again we'll stop with any um a.a. <laughs> Ron <laughs> anybody watch Key and Peele so funny so funny yeah man Fiend, uh, Fiend Crypt is an awesome dude he uh, he really does a good job finding amusing how much he hated Stephen King in those movie reviews he did not not enough gore I just oh, yeah I just agree with him too of course um, yeah they're interesting to see so again part of this is part of a conversation. You'll hear it on the Greg Fasolino interview, and you'll hear it in some of the things that I clipped off, like made clips of. But, you know, part of the way that you got counterculture information, yes, Fangoria Magazine did exist, but like counterculture news came, did not come by the way of a newsstand. It came by the way of independent underground magazines and fanzines stuff like Flipside, maximum rock and roll there's just like tons of them ugly things you know these these magazines these um uh these 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 the, this media that that focused on stuff that nobody else would think to cover you know um would write these in-depth uh, sort of pieces on 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 bands and movies and yada yada yada, and at one point, flip, either flip side. I don't know the story actually. I don't think anybody knows the story. The story might be lost to time unless you ask Glenn Danzig. Um, but at some point, Glenn just started writing. <laughs> he started writing for Flipside. I don't know if he did the graphic design for this stuff. I'd like to think that he did. It's very much in his style. Um, here, let's share the screen. So here it is right here. 
I don't know how well you can see that. Maybe I can make this even fuller. There we go. That's probably as, that's as full as it's going to get, unfortunately. I can read it. You probably can't. But, you know, th this is this collage style was done by all sorts of fanzines, but it's also very much in like sort of like the, the Glenn Danzig vein. And so I don't know if Glenn put this together and then sent it into uh, Flipside or if he just typed it up and then they sort of did their own thing. But th this is what Glenn Danzig thought of these movies as they came out. Notice they're all kind of grouped together. Road Warrior came out in 81. Creepshow was in 82. Halloween 3 was in 82. Basket Case came out in 19... Oh, when did that? 81 as well. Uh, now, it's possible that maybe he saw these movies at a later time. Um, but... I tend to not think that to be the case because they're just all so close in time. So here's what he says. about some. This is Glenn's thoughts about Basket Case. For those of you who don't know, that's Frank Henenlotter's first film. He made, all right, so talk about, talk about crazy movie making. Frank Henenlotter made Basket Case for $30,000 in, I think it was 1982. Do you know how much money $30,000 in 1982 to shoot a feature length film like, do you realize how insane that is? Like, that's so beyond insane. There's only one other film that kind of maybe even was more more extreme, and that was Equinox, which came out in the 70s. Equinox is, Equinox is the basis for Evil Dead. That's where Sam Raimi kind of got some of his inspiration from. And that film, which is on the Criterion Collection, that film was made for $7,000-something in the early 70s. Just absolutely un, unheard of. On, on on celluloid. So, but again, not to take away from the achievement of some people equate achievement with being able to make something for a little amount of money, um, and that's what that's what our, our friend Frank Hennelotter did. This is what Glenn says. Should I read it in the Glenn voice or should I read it? Do I read it in the Glenn voice or do I read it in my own voice? I don't know. Uh, this movie is this movie is great, gory. Gruesome, hilarious. What else can I say? If this plays in your town, go see it. Low budget, but high quality. Uh, the monster in this thing is so cool. He's really ugly, and he has one of the most warped sense of humor. He tries to fuck a girl, and the results are far less than successful. More like bloody bang. This is a must. So Glenn loved Basket Case, which was, you know, again, just like, Grindhouse. If you really want to see what New York looked like in 1982, just like just really truly like the grime of 42nd Street or whatever, go watch Basket Case. And it had two. Uh, Frank Henlotter made two sequels to Basket Case uh, in 1989: Basket Case Two and Basket Case Three, which were um, also very interesting. By the way, fun fun uh, trivia fact for those out there. The the guy who plays Moonface, the freakish brother Moonface, the freakish family member Moonface in part two and part three of Basket Case is played by this guy, David Ermergy or whatever, who plays um, Flyboy in Dawn of the Dead. So Flyboy is in the sequels to Basket Case. Okay, moving on. Next is uh, an iconic, a seminal iconic Anthology, one of my favorite films, Creepshow. Um, but yes, 
I would say that Glenn's reaction to Creepshow is shocking to me. He writes, big letdown from George Romero, the guy who made Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. The stories aren't scary. The movie isn't gory and the special effects are wasted by the stupid red and blue. I, I mean, <laughs> lighting effects. They flash red and blue lights whenever it gets a little vigilant. There are five stories in all, but the opening of the movie kicks ass on all of them. The crate and they're creeping up on you are the standouts in an otherwise slow film. You know, it's just so it's just so shocking. Yeah, Paul, you gotta Paul, uh Basket Case two and three. I don't know if they if they got released on Blu-ray, but um you gotta uh, as far as I know, you gotta get them on VHS. I, ha- I think I have them on VHS actually. Um I wonder, I'm sure Glenn has changed his tune about Creep Show now. I would think maybe at that time, maybe Glenn started to get an appreciation for things, if even if they didn't have Gore later in his life. But I would imagine by now that Glenn has an appre- appreciation for what is considered an unbridled classic like Creep Show. And, you know, I, I you know, I, he's saying it's a letdown, maybe because he, you know, Night of the Living Dead had a huge influence on Glenn, not just by writing the song, but, you know, um, I I did not, my friend interviewed Glenn Danzig for this George Romero documentary, and I transcribed that interview. It's a never-before-seen Glenn Danzig interview, and I would love to read the transcript for you, but it's not my, it's my friend's property, and I think it would be really unethical of me to read his 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 IP uh, whatever you want to call it, um, his thing. But I will say this in the interview, which I wish I still had a copy of, I have the transcript that I transcribed, but I don't have the the video of it anymore. Glenn Danzig just talks at length about George Romero and how much George Romero influenced him. And he, he goes into how, you know, they used to project one of the films they would project that the misfits would burst out of the screen really starting in 1979 was uh, Night of the Living Dead. They would burst out of the screen and then go into the song. We talked about this. They did this for the Irving Plaza show as well. Um, but yeah, it was just a movie. They, they put white construction paper in front of the stage and then they would project Night of the Living Dead and burst through burst through the paper at a certain point and just start playing. Uh, the band would start playing. And um, right, Something Weird Video put that out. That is correct. And uh, yeah, I love Command. Creepshow is phenomenal. Glenn, you don't know what you're talking about. I mean, like, did, as for someone who's really into comic books, like, come on, Glenn. Like, you couldn't you couldn't see the connection there. It, it, uh, I mean, I just I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, Road Warrior, another one of my absolute favorite films. Films. I was blown away to think that one of my favorite musicians reviewed one of my favorite films. Kind of. Kind of blew my mind. It's weird to hear Glenn talk about Mad Max. Mad Max is the reason why I wear a leather jacket today. Road Warrior. That, that Mad Max was my Star Wars growing up. That was my Star Wars. Like, yeah, I had Star Wars, obviously, but dude, it was all about Mad Max. He says, This is the sequel to Mad Max, but that's where the similarities end. Mad Max was boring, but Road Warrior is the ultimate statement on survival. In the not-too-distant future, scavenging Mohawk men riding the highways of the wasteland, searching for new victims, hunting out the scarce 
what does it say? Scarce of all things, gas. Max gets really fucked over in this one, but manages to survive it all. He ends up looking like a walking contusion. Plenty of harsh brutality, violence, rape, murder, and death. All the things that await you in the post-war life. I've seen this five times, and at 10, I'll lay off it for a while. See this at least once. So Road Warrior gets a glowing review from Glenn Danzig. That's hilarious. I'm sure he was just like sitting in the theater going, hey, day, hey, day. People are going to talk about hey, day, hey, day. Living hell is not so bad. You bet your life. It's going to be a fight. You know, Earth After Doomsday, Road Warrior. Love it. Um, Yeah, I, I love, I mean, what is there to say about Road Warrior? It's just a phenomenal, a phenomenal classic, man. It just, oh, God. You know what's funny? I've talked to, I don't know if I've talked about it here before, but I've, I, well, you, if you've watched my other videos, you know how much Night of Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead and Return of the Living Dead mean to me. And while I love Return of the Living Dead, I don't think I could ever make Return of the Living Dead. But as a filmmaker, I was talking about being a filmmaker. One of my dreams would be to do my own version of Night of the Living Dead. And if I did, it would basically, I would take the plot of the Road Warrior, kind of, and then transpose it onto the plot of Night of the Living Dead. So you got your your guy that comes to the compound, aka the farmhouse, and tells him that he sees a truck down the the road and that it's big enough to haul everybody that's in in the house back, you know, back out to safety. And if they can just work together, they can all get out of there alive. And of course they they don't. That's my that's my take on Night of Living Dead, and I would do it by way of Road Warrior. So I figure I would just express my my passion for that. And then lastly. He's got Halloween 3. Now, this is going to make some people angry. Ready? This is going to make you all angry, possibly. I don't know what your favorite Halloween film is, but my favorite Halloween film is Halloween 3. You know why? I don't give a damn about Michael Myers. I think it's a one-note subject. They did it one time. Frankly, I hate to say it, I think Rob Zombie did it better than John Carpenter even. I just... I love the story he did. Rob Zombie's probably the best thing Rob Zombie's done, you know, uh, featuring Halloween by the Misfits. Um, I love Halloween 3, man. It's just so – and you would think that for a guy who's obsessed with Sam Hain and, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, all the stuff involving Sam Hain that Glenn would really be down with Halloween 3, and that's not the case. This is what he says. He says, Halloween 3 doesn't even deserve a full review. This one sucks. And the night he came home, should have visited Deborah. And the night he came home, he should have visited Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. So basically, he wants Michael Myers to slash up Deborah Hill and John Carpenter for making or for producing Halloween 3 season of The Witch, baby. It's phenomenal. And, you know, originally, what some of you may or may not know, Halloween 3 was supposed to usher in. One new anthology Halloween film per year, meaning that they did Michael Myers twice. They're like, okay, we've done the boogeyman, dude. Now we're going to do this story about, like, you know, sacrifice and, you know, uh, saying sacrifice using Halloween masks on children for Halloween. And basically every year they were going to have a, it's like American Horror Story, but just the Halloween series. And when it flopped because it didn't have any Michael Myers, 
that what do we get? We get part four, the return of Michael Myers, which was just absolute garbage. Now, what's interesting is, I think, like, <laughs> what is my what is my opinion of Glenn's Veronica? I think you need to go watch my review. I did a review on it. And frankly, I think that, as I've said before, I said, listen, it's, it's actually Kevin, Kevin 45 from uh, Von Spur and, and, other, and still stillborn monster babies. He said it best. Glenn Danzig trying to direct music videos like he did in, for Danzig. It's Glenn Danzig trying to direct music videos, but without any music. So they're music videos without any music. Kind of hilarious when you think about it. Um, I think we live in an alternate reality. Here's what I think. I think that in the real world, the re in this non-alternate reality, like the actual world, they did that. They did, because it makes sense. We're going to do a new film every year because how many times could we do Michael Myers? And I think that we live in the alternate reality kind of like, have you ever seen Back to the Future Part 2 where Marty is in Hill Valley and he goes to the movie theater and he sees Jaws 19 on the screen and it's kind of just like a parody. It's just like a parody of like um, <laughs> of like sequelitis and like, oh my God, how many times could you do Jaws 19 times? Well, we live in the future where they did like 12 Michael Myers movies. They're, they did so many Michael Myers movies. It's just such a tired thing Go check out. Oh, you can't see it yet, but I did my. I kind of, I kind of rewrote what I would do for a Halloween sequel that I thought would really work. Um, give me the variety. I love anthology stuff. I love Twilight Zone. I love Tales from the Crypt. Get, could you imagine if they had never stopped and we got thirty different Halloween esque Halloween movies every fall? Like you know the way that like Saw, there were like all those Saw movies consecutively. Every year from 2004 to like 2010, I think it was, there was a new Saw movie in, around Halloween. Um, the same thing with really with the, the, the Jason movies and the Fre Freddy movies. They both, you know, they, they, they just had so many sequels. They did sequels for like eight or nine years, whatever, however long it was, uh, before they peered, petered out and then obviously revamped. Okay, so that's, that's one. We, we've got a couple here. So we're just going to roll through these. And again, I love the conversation. If anybody wants to chime in on whether they love or hate any of these films, please feel free to do so. Um, okay, yeah, check that out, Ill. We'll appreciate it. Graves says, Michael? Michael Graves? Is that you? Everything Glenn touches turns to shit. I love it. That is something Michael Graves would say. So maybe this is Graves undercover. I don't know. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. Let's go on to the next one. All right, so this one, um, I actually heard, I heard, I read that uh, Aaron from The Fiend, he could not find the actual issue, so he transcribed this from Misfit Central and just recreated his own. That's the kind of dedication that I love, and it includes Evil Dead, which we're gonna, I'm so glad is here. So the top one is Videodrome by um, David Cronenberg. I love David Cronenberg films. I think Cronenberg is a master, and I love his son's work, too. If anybody's checked out Possessor, that's the new Brandon Cronenberg film. Imagine a world where David Cronenberg has a son who makes films just like David Cronenberg, and it doesn't feel like nepotism, like he, or it, and it doesn't feel like he's ripping off his dad in an exploitative way. It's a dude who's literally 
like continuing and the brand and carrying the torch of his father in the best way ever. And that's Brandon Cronenberg. Um, and his father, David, he did this film called Video Journal, All Hail the New Flesh. Uh, this is this is uh, this is what Glenn has to say about video drove. This concerns all. Uh, this concerns an orga- organization's plans to warp people's brains via the use of special video transmissions. Fresh subject matter at last. Good effects, and best of all, you can't figure out what's going to happen next. Deborah Harry is actually good in this one too. Uh, this ends like most Cronenberg flicks. It's over but you get the feeling it shouldn't be, or maybe it's just that you don't want it to be. Go see this and any other Cronenberg films, Scanners, The Brood, Rabbit. It came from within, AKA Shivers. They came from within is the American title, but I like that. They came from Lodi. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was really cheesy. Um, you know, it's funny. I can almost imagine like sitting down, like eating pizza with Glenn, like, and like like talking horror movies with him, and like he would be talking this stuff, which brings me back to what I was saying about if I ever interviewed Glenn Danzig, this is what I would talk about with him, man. I would talk about horror films, and I feel like we would have a good rapport, just going back and forth, having these kind of conversations. I could imagine him casually talking with anybody who wanted to. So I feel like if you meet Glenn Danzig, maybe a great way into not like looking like a total fan doofus you know, misfits nerd dweebazoid would be to just talk about horror films. Might be good. Josh S. says Scanners was this ish. There you go. Yeah, lots of great Cronenberg films. My favorite David Cronenberg film is actually not so much a horror film as it is a thriller, I guess. I love A History of Violence. I think it is one of his finest films. I think The Fly is his best work, but his but my favorite work is, is A History of Violence, which I would pair in a double feature with Kill Bill. All right. Up next is Funeral Home. I never saw Funeral Home. I don't know anything about this. We'll just read what Glenn says about it. He says, Funeral Home, stay away at all costs. This contains no horror, gore, or suspense, or anything else, but an overabundance of boredom. Oh, yeah. You'll feel like a fool if you pay to see this. Um, So, yeah, there's that. Let's see what Glenn says about the evil dead. At last, a horror movie that lives up to the words horror movie. Sort of like The Exorcist meets Night of the Living Dead. That is actually a really great way to think about Evil Dead. It is. It's The Exorcist meets Night of the Living Dead. I love it. Glenn, that's genius. Glenn is a good critic. Uh, guaranteed frights for even the most seasoned horror film goer. You will not be disappointed. So now... I don't believe the Evil Dead. The Evil Dead was made in 1979, 1980, right around there. But the Evil Dead did not come out in a wide release until 1983, I believe, which would line up. So Videodrome is 82. Evil Dead is 83. House of Sorority Rose from the 70s. Dark. I don't know when The Dark Crystal came out, um, but this is going to be interesting to hear what he says about The Dark Crystal. Um, first, the oh, well, first, a little bit more on the Evil Dead man, Raimi's man, Sam Raimi, one of my one of my idols, uh, you know, filmmaking idols, right up there with George Romero. I love Sam Raimi, I love his style. Talk about you know, what's funny about the Evil Dead guys here, because again, 
I, you know, I identify as a punk rocker for sure, but more than anything, I just identify as a guy who's just into a lot of like cool shit. You know, of course I love punk music. Of course I, I was, you know, I was a punk rocker when I was younger, but like, you know, I, not so much now. I just sort of, you know, just uh, I express my identity however I want to express my identity. But Evil Dead, Sam Raimi and the Evil Dead are, are uh, and Bruce Campbell and Rob Tappert, these guys are punk rock filmmakers. Robert Rodriguez is a punk rock filmmaker. You know what I mean? George Romero is a punk rock filmmaker. These guys embody all of the brilliance of punk rock um, but from the hor- from the film side of things, and they use horror to do it, and that's what Evil Dead is, man. It, Evil Dead is the bad brains recording the uh, uh, roar roar r o i r cassette tape, you know, the self titled album in the A seven storefront uh, live. You know what I mean? Like in the dead of winter, you know, like just tight, tight like a tiger. That's what Evil Dead is to me. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal, uh, and and creative. And you know, hey, how are we going to make the? What are we going to? How are we going to show the evil in the Evil Dead? Like, what is it going to look like? We don't have any money. How about the camera? Is the evil? That's right. The camera is the the evil itself. Yes, the people get possessed. That's the Exorcist side. The Exorcist meets Night of Living Dead, but the. The, the 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 camera is the POV and we see it rush along the forest floor around the woods, yada yada yada. That really gets expanded on in Evil Dead to Dead by Dawn. In any case, let's move on. The house on Sorority Road. This is every horror murder movie of the last two years slapped together for a quick buck. Hints of Friday the thirteenth and Halloween are too noticeable. There were a few good scenes, such as a decapitated head of a girl seen laying in a toilet bowl. But for the most part, you've seen it all before. See, Glenn is not reviewing these movies for their artistic or, you know, critical, you know, merit. He, it's just all about gore for him. That's what he thinks he needs to write about. Uh, or maybe that's the only way he knows how to talk about films. But it seems very superficial. And I'm a little disappointed in Glenn. And I thought that the, I guess the House of Story Row also might have come out in the 80s because Friday the 13th came out in 1979. Halloween came out in 78. So maybe, okay, so it has to be post 79, right? Is uh, House and Story Row. I don't have the Googles in front of me right now, or at least I'm not trying to search them. So I'll just we'll just assume that, that it came out at some point there. The Dark Crystal. Let's take a look at what he says about the Dark Crystal. <clears throat> I went to this just so I could give it a bad review. But guess what? This was actually really cool. And he spells cool, K-O-O-L, just like uh, Erie Vaughn always writes cool. This must have caught a, uh, a lot of parents off guard, yuck, yuck. It was so cool here. And then he spells cool with a C instead. It was so cool hearing all these little kids screaming when the gruesome stuff came on. There's a lot of brutality in this movie, along with a touch of genocide throw in for good measure. Oh, my God, Glenn. Uh, this movie doesn't have any extreme gore, but it still puts out. Take the kids. Take the kiddies. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, jeez. All right, moving on. All right, here's a really good page. I don't know if you can, probably can't see it. Oh, we get Dawn of the Dead. Return of the Jedi came out in 83. Mausoleum came out 
what does that say? 85 or 83. Yeah. These film uh Gorgor Girls is old. Gorgor Girls is from the late 60s, I think. Um let's see what some of these comments say. Personally, I dig the humor with my gore, so TCM2 was my holy grail. Yeah, man. I, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Dennis Hopper on cocaine. Can't go wrong. Michael Myers and Jason never did it for me. Not me either, man. You want to hear something kind of uh, weak sauce? I only saw half of the Friday the 13th last year for the first time. I'd seen half of them before, and I saw the other half this year. Evil Dead 2 sealed the deal. Hand Possessed still beat the shit out of yourself. That's right. And do you know who used that as inspiration for his role in Liar Liar? was Jim Carrey watched Bruce Campbell do the, all that physical physical acting with the hand, and that's what Jim Carrey modeled his performance on when he's doing all the, the liar, liar stuff, if you could believe it, right? Kind of crazy. Um, when the deer looked down at Ash and started laughing, I found I found the best I'd ever seen. Yeah, man, it's great. I mean, it's great. Hey, sorry, this is off topic, but I'm new to the Misfits. Does Graves and Danzig have any animosity towards each other you know yeet bitch i really am not going to answer that question because i if you are genuinely new to the misfits that's fine and like welcome but like if you're just like trolling for me to like just go off topic about this i'm not going to it's just not even worth it sorry buddy um so let's take a look this is what this is kind of hard to read so this is a film called Mausoleum. I believe I saw Mausoleum. Yeah, Mausoleum, right, with the girl at the beginning and the green the green gas. I actually didn't even finish it. It's on Shutter right now if you want to see it, Mausoleum. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. This movie was cool as fuck. All right, maybe I need to finish it. Uh, it's about a little girl who goes to the grave of a demon witch for spiritual support as a troubled kid. Well, she's grown up now, and it takes her over, and she phases in and out of possession becoming the coolest girl ghoul since the she-creature. Besides demonic facial appearance, she also has tits that are demon skulls, because that's what Glenn loves, literally. Glenn's like, I'm going to write a song called, I'm going to write a song about tits. <laughs> I'm going to write a song about demon skull tits. This next one is called Demon Skull Tits. You could totally imagine that demon skull tits was a outtake from circle of snakes because that's like what every when i hear him say demon skull tits that's what i think of every song on circle of snakes or like some of the 777 stuff you know what i mean demon skull tits <laughs> that is hilarious that also reminds me of the snake cock with the skull balls on the back of of, of wolf's blood uh nah dude i'm 16 and i love metal but getting into punk Sorry to come off as a troll wasn't my... Oh, no worries, dude. You don't have to apologize. No need to apologize. Thanks for explaining yourself. Um, you know what, man? Just go down the rabbit hole or watch some of our previous episodes and enjoy. And if you want to listen to The Misfits, check out the Danzig stuff, okay? So, welcome. I, you know, I got into The Misfits when I was 15. Uh, it's kind of a rite of passage. So, you're right where you're supposed to be. Uh, enjoy all the content on this channel and go pick up go pick up a copy of Static Age and or Walk Among Us and you, you'll be right as rain. Okay. Josh says we can't pretend Veronica was good. 
Josh, I know you're joining us late. I talked about Veronica already earlier in this episode. And I also, there's a review. I did a whole review on Veronica. So go take check that out. We're going to keep on topic here. So that was Mausoleum, and that's the demon face right there. You can see it. You can see it right there. Uh, then you got the Gorgor Girls. This is this is a long, out-of-circulation uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis gem, which just started doing the midnight stints in NYC. So that's how he saw it in New York City in 1982. So what would happen was, you got to imagine, this is really interesting situation. Check this out. Little history here. Again, I love re reveling in the idea of like the pre-internet age. Imagine before VHS was widely in circulation, how did you see a movie after its first run? You had to go and check it in a second run house. You had to catch it uh, uh, at a midnight screening, or you had to maybe if you had like an HBO, if it's that depending on what time it is in the 80s, if you have HBO, they might be playing like Return of the Living Dead again, that sort of thing. Or you could rent a, v a VCR and you could rent your VHS at a premium price and do that as well. Um, but it was not easy to see. Think about all the films. Think about all the films that are coming out on Blu-ray for the first time now, all the obscure titles. And think they were all made in the 60s, 70s, and 80s and played uh, on runs. And that's the other thing too is that Movie theaters would, you know, you would, would rent films and, and play, you know, you'd get a package deal. You could see three films, you know, you do a triple feature or a double feature with, you know, two grindhouse films or B films, whatever. And that's what, you know, again, going back to Times Square or the uh, Waverly Theater on 8th Street, you know, like uh, in, the, in the village, you know, just like that's how you would go and see stuff. So that's how Glenn is seeing these things that, frankly, he could not probably rent on VHS back in the day. Um, Paul says, I seen Dark Crystal in the theater when it came out. Mama took this kitty. I was not censored as a kid. Good for you, Paul. What a lucky, you're a lucky duck. The world needs a Santanica anime. I'm not sure that it does Graves. I'm not too familiar with the title, but I'm not sure that it does. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Gorgor uh, is uh, on SW... V also, oh, right, something weird video. That's right. Something weird video put out a lot of Herschel Gordon Lewis, but also Arrow Video put out a Herschel Gordon Lewis box set that's like super expensive, but it's got all the treats. Yeah, you piggyback VCRs, you make a dub tape. And one of these, it shows Glenn talks about how, how you make a dub tape. I caught DC Cab on HBO at midnight at the time. All time favorite, just saying. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. HBO back then, the premium channel, like you could watch, or that's the other thing too, is that you would have the movie on the week. You had chiller theater. Like this, this was the only way the Saturday night, the Saturday night movie or the um, Sunday matinee film on uh, WPIX uh, channel 11. You know what I mean? This is how you saw all these titles. I remember growing up, that was how I would watch movies for the first time or on TBS or sci-fi channel or whatever. You know, uh, they were, you know, well, there was also video. You could rent stuff on VHS as well. That's that, that's a little, because I'm a child of the 90s. Born in the 80s, um, raised in the 90s. So, you know, I'm a weird age. It's a weird age. I'm 35. I'm born in 85, right? So I grew up 
with an analog childhood for the most part. We did have computers, but we still watched things on VHS. We still taped off the radio. You know, we made mixtapes. You know, we 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 also bought CDs. Um, but I didn't have the really truly have. I did have the inter. We had the inter. We had AOL, but we did not. I was not born with the internet. You know, uh, a lot of us were not born with the internet. So it's like I've had. I, I so I feel like I'm straddling these two generations. You know, it's just I was born at a really like on the cusp, the cusp of time. Sort of if I if that makes any sense. I remember seeing the punk chick in Return of Living Dead when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, uh, Joe Vasta from uh, Mr. Monster and me, we did a commentary track for Return of Living Dead. It's on this channel. Check it out. We watched the whole movie and talked about it. Tarman, Return of Living Dead, one of the best zombies. Yeah, go check that out. It's somewhere on on my channel. You should check that out. Uh, Graves, there's a three-minute feature on YouTube called titled Glenn Danzig Satanica. It was very Glenn. Yeah, so he had, he commissioned that. That, for, that was for a pilot for a Japanese anime, and it just it that never went anywhere. Hell yeah, I remember going to theaters back then, five dollars for like five films, mainly B movies, right? And Rue, and that's how you could get exposed to all sorts of stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, on the West Coast, we had Saturday Nightmares on USA in the mid eighties. Exactly. There's so many different shows like that, and on the East Coast, it was Chiller Theater was one of them. Anyway, so. That's what he's talking about when he says, uh, you know, uh, the Gore Gore Girls started doing these midnight stints in New York City and possibly in your town. It is my personal favorite of all Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies. And besides some sickening gore, also, you also get one of the most hilarious romps through blood and guts you'll ever see. It's about a disfigured killer who goes around murdering the faces of strippers because since the maniacs Tragic accident you can no longer strip due to bodily scars. If this comes to your town and you miss it, you'll regret it. Um, it's funny. He he says this is one of his favorite H.G. Lewis films, but he wrote a song about Blood Feast and not the Gorgo Girls. But you could imagine a Glenn Danzig song go, Gorgo Girls. Oh, Gorgo Girls. Oh, God. No, it would be like, it would be like, go. Go! I don't know. How would that work? It would. It would work somehow. It would work. Um, yes, USA up all night. That's right. USA up all night. And then on TNT we had Monster Vision. Who remembers Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs? That's how I saw the Monster Club. One of my all-time favorite films that I will never stop championing for the rest of my days. Go seek that out. It's a Vincent Price film anthology made at the tail end of the amicus cycle in england in in by 1980 and has all these these weird new wave bands that play it's like if i ever was to make a anthology film that would be the film that i would try and do one of my favorites ballad says isn't it insane how well night of living dead still holds up to this day uh plus the political and social commentary that george added i have to watch every halloween i couldn't agree more and yes it really does hold up it's very very relevant, especially in light of what happened to George Floyd last year. Just like, you know, it just really speaks oceans to what George Romero was doing all the way back in 1968, whether he intentionally intended that or not. Uh, it's there in the art itself. And I did a terrible time 
speaking about it the other day when we, we did a whole thing on the remake of of night of living dead also on this channel so there you go i watched night of living dead at my local alamo on halloween 4k restoration uh double double bill with dead alive it was awesome uh chris chris remembers monster you remember monster vision i remember monster vision hell yeah joe bob um we used to watch elvira's movie macabre didn't give a damn about the movie she was reviewing. We were just hoping she would fall out of her dress. Yeah, I would I would imagine so. Um, Joe Bob Briggs would make fun of Christians. It was, well, you know, Joe Bob. That was Joe Bob for you. Anyway, uh, here we go. We're talking about Dawn of the Dead. If you're going to go see Dawn, uh, if you're going to go see this to see Dawn, because for some strange reason, you've never seen it, or just for another view, forget it. It's been cut to shit so it could get an R rating and play with the ultra boring creep show. Has Romero sold out? We'll see when the last of the Living Dead sequels is out. Sequels is out. I'm supposed to say sequels. Wow. So there, man, he is just hating. Yeah. So interesting story. Quick, quick story. I know I'm giving like all these little bits of trivia to go with the movies that Glenn is reviewing. But I, this is, this is what I know. You know, it's funny. I sat there and I'm watching the punk rock. I'm watching Finn from punk rock NBA, uh, just wax poetic about just like all this music stuff. And I'm sitting there going, wow, I know absolutely nothing about alternative music. Like I thought I knew something about alternative music. I know jack shit. Compared to this dude, I'm thinking like, man, what kind of niche can I can exploit the way that he does this pop punk? He, he, he's all about like pop punk and screamo and stuff. I, I, I don't know anything about that. You know, um, matter of fact, if he did what I'm doing, I could not do what I'm doing right now. I He would just blow me out of the water. He's so good with what he does. But um much like the way he knows about that stuff, I do know a thing or two about horror films. And so when Dawn of the Dead was being made, um, they, you know, they, they did not, they did not pull any punches. Dawn of the Dead was, was uh, uh, just made to be incredibly gory. Tom Savini is finally in the mix and he has carte blanche to do whatever he wants. And George is just letting him do it. They're shooting in the Monroeville Mall, who are friends with George, you know, the owners of the mall. They're like, you could do whatever you want. So they are just going for broke. Every conceivable gore gag that they can think of, they're, they're trying to pull off. Uh, again, by no stretch of the imagination, Dawn is a very small film, even though its budget is, you know, over 10 times what Night of Living Dead, 15 times the budget of Night of Living Dead. It was made for $1.5 million, and it made a lot of money. And when they were ready to release it, um, they knew that after what had happened with Night of Living Dead, the MPAA, which you know issues its ratings, was not going to give Dawn of the Dead a pass. And the reason why was because of Night of Living Dead. See, Night of Living Dead, you may not realize this, Night of Living Dead is the reason why films are rated R. One of the reasons why. Nobody, you know, people would take, would go to Night of the Living Dead. It was just a drive-through film. People are going to Night of the Living Dead, taking little kids. They have no idea what they're in for. 
you know, the, the violence and, you know, there's nudity and you see a little girl take a, a trowel and, and stab her mother to death before consuming her. You know, they're eating guts, real intestines and livers and things. And um, the, like people were and Glenn Danzig talks about this in that unseen interview that I've seen from my friend when I worked on this documentary called Dead On the Life and Times of George Romero. And he talks about and it must have been when he saw it, he probably saw it in 71, Glenn Danzig. And he talks about how people were literally screaming in the theater. And I believe it. I genuinely believe it because nobody was expecting what they were going to get when they went into that film. They were expecting maybe a B horror film in the same vein of, you know, some of the more tamer stuff that was coming out of the 60s. There was not a lot of gore films in the 60s. There's not a lot of films with extreme subject matter. You have to think to yourself that Night of the Living Dead in the 60s is like a Serbian film in 2010. It's like, whoa, Jeff, what are you saying? Eric is always late as usual. Welcome. You, you. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoy participating. Thank you for joining us. Um, yeah, I haven't seen any of the new Shutter stuff. Hold on, I just got totally distracted. Uh, God, what was I talking about? Oh, I, I mean, you have to imagine what was more extreme than Night of the Living Dead in 1968. There's only a couple of things that come to mind. One of them is Blood Feast from 1963. 1963, that's the first time you see red, bloody gore, uh, uh, you know, removing eyeballs and tongues and things, which, of course, Glenn Danzig is attracted to. He's also attracted to Night of the Living Dead. These are the two of the most extreme films. Isn't it funny that Glenn Danzig wrote misfit songs about two of the most extreme films from the 60s? Now, some might argue, oh, Jeff, there's other extreme films from the 60s, and maybe there are, maybe they don't come to mind. There's only two other films that predate both Blood Feast and Night of the Living Dead that, are, that have gore, that have any kind of level of gore that could be comparable to both Blood Feast and Night of the Living Dead, something that might be Glenn Danzig's cup of tea. And that is Eyes Without a Face from 1959 French film. Uh, probably it's a proto-French extremity film when you think about it. And it literally shows a woman's face come off and, and get removed. And then the, the other film would be a Japanese salaryman feature called Jigoku. J-I-G-O-K-U. Jigoku. Probably pronouncing that wrong. And that has uh, scenes of hell. And you see this dude and his whole body. You see all of his organs and like blood and guts. And it was shot in color and it was made in 1959. And as far as I know, that is the earliest depiction, in my opinion, of blood, guts, and gore. Okay? So, that besides, I mean, there's not a lot of these examples. So, Night of the Living Dead is a, a big, a big contender for being one of these extreme movies. So, how did censors react? They created the restricted movie. And it wasn't just Night of the Living Dead. There were other movies, too, that, 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 uh, were the impetus for this, but Night of the Living Dead was a big one where for the first time parents were caught in this situation where they were bringing children and they were bringing people under age to see something that they thought was more innocent than it actually was. 
and turned out to be quite the scary gore. I mean, you see a woman with her face eaten off, you know, uh, which Glenn Danzig immortalizes on the cover of Night of the Living Dead. I mean, he dope, literally, like, he wrote a song named the EP after it and and took that art to use for the mistress. That's how enamored he is by Night of the Living Dead. So now fast forward back to 1978 and Richard P. Rubenstein, the producer, who was a great producing partner for George and helped him make a lot of stuff. Um, Richard P. Rubinson and uh, George Romero, and I think maybe Dario Argento. Dario Argento was, was part of, of Dawn of the Dead as well. Um, he put up money with his brother, Claudio. They go to the board, and the board is like, we are going to cut this to shit. We are just going to cut the shit out of this movie. So what does George Romero do and Richard Rubinson? They say, fuck it. They do the most punk rock thing ever. This is why they're punk rock. And I wonder if 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 Glenn even took a note out of their page, the same sort of trajectory in a way that Static Age, sort not Static Age, but Plan 9, Bullet. Well, let's say the Bullet EP went. You know, Glenn, the, you know, the gatekeeper's not going to let Glenn release Static Age, right? They're like, no one's going to listen to this shit. So what's Glenn doing? He goes, all right, I'll start my own record label. I'm going to call it Plan 9. I'm going to put out the Bullet EP with these songs. The song about JFK being, having his head blown off and his wife, Jackie, sucking off the this rich Greek shipping magnet. Um, that's kind of like what happened with George Romero and Richard P. Rubinson. They said, okay, you're not going to let us release the film as is. You're going to make us cut all this stuff. We shot all this stuff. We're not going to yield. So what did they do? They release that motherfucker unrated. That's right. Dawn of the Dead gets an unrated release, which at the time, and now this is also pre-X, I believe, or maybe X does exist, but X is, when you see X or NC-17, it's associated with pornography. There's no pornography per se in Dawn of the Dead, unless if you consider gore porn. So it's gore pornography. Um, and they're like, the, you know, an unrated movie, is a, that's a kiss of death for any release. You know, because you can't, when you have an unrated movie, you can't take out, at least at that time in the late 70s, you can't take out newspaper ads. You can't take out, it's the same thing in the 50s with the EC Comics and the Comics Code. The EC Comics went under, they couldn't survive because, you know, the Comics Code forced them, the authority, the Comics Authority forced them to not, you know, they couldn't do the things that they were doing in comics anymore. So they just... They, they, they went under, that, then the rise, get the rise of Mad Magazine instead. Well, they Richard P. Rubinstein and, and George Romero go, fuck it, we're going to do it like this. They put it out. What they do is they four-walled a screening. They did one screening in New York City. They four-walled it. What does four-wall mean? It means you rent out the theater yourself. You buy every seat in the house, which is very expensive. It's the same as putting on a DIY show. You know, bands pooling their money, putting renting out a hall, and then putting on a punk rock show themselves, entrepreneurial-like. And so that's what Richard and George did, and people saw it, and the word of mouth exploded. Because at the time, you know, media was different there, and word of mouth was everything. Word of mouth is everything today. But word of mouth then, like, you lived and died by word of mouth. And people were like, holy crap. George Romero just did it again. He did the same thing that he did with Night of Living Dead, but now it's in color and it's so much gorier and it's great. And as we all know, and so that's why Glenn, that's my long winded, that's my long winded uh, reason as to why Glenn is saying, 
forget about this creep show and Dawn of the Dead double feature because they've cut Dawn of the Dead to ribbons. I would never watch a rated R version of Dawn of the Dead. You couldn't pay me money. You have to see it unrated. Now, this is what's interesting here. The last movie he reviews is Star Wars. Did you ever think you would hear Glenn Danzig and Star Wars in the same sentence? Well, there's one other time that you might, because the Star Wars trilogy exists in the same, or, or, or was birthed in the same window as the, Misfit, the original Misfits existed. The first film comes out in 77, and Return of the Jedi comes out in 83. So 77 to 83, just like the band, when people say, oh, Misfits 77 to 83, it's the same thing when they're talking about the original Star Wars trilogy. And we know how there's contention between the prequels and the sequels and yada, yada, yada. X, Y, Z, one, two, three. Ooh! Um, <laughs> have you ever had an Egyptian feast? Fuad, Fuad Ramses. Now, that movie was remade again as Blood Feast 2. Check out my Blood Feast video on um, Mother Effin, whatever, friggin' from Greg's interview, real or Greg's, Greg's recording. Pretty great. A lot of Misfit song titles and saw a lot of Misfit songs and song titles are inspired by movies. Yeah. I'm like, duh, Eric, come on. Do we know of any movies based on Misfit songs? Good point. Wow, I love that, Eric. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I suppose if I try to write my third feature, I should name it after a Misfit song because that's what I do. I name all my movies after songs that I like. Zambot says, Glenn is going to direct a Count Chocula, Chocula movie. I would love that. Glenn would be perfect for a Count Chocula movie. Uh, better yet, make it an animated feature. What do you think Glenn thinks of Suspiria? I don't know, man. Chris, Come on, I know we do a lot of speculation here, but I can't read Glenn's mind. I'm not a psychic. Come on, man. Let's see what he says about Return of the Jedi. This is so funny. If you like the Wizard of Oz, you'll love Star Wars saga. Princess Leia is Dorothy, R2 is Toto, Luke Khan and Chewie are the Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Cowardly Lion. I hate Star Wars. <laughs> Give me basket case any day. I love that. That is hilarious. The way he, it's just the way that he buries the lead that he hates Star Wars. He goes, If you like The Wizard of Oz, you'll love Star Wars Saga. Princess Leia is Dorothy, Arthur is Dodo, Luke Han and Chewie are the Scarecrow, Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion. I hate Star Wars. Give me basket case any day. Wow. Boy, Glenn, you really don't mince words there. Let's see what's up next. Ah, okay. So we have Christine, Star 80, Sudden Impact, Liquid Sky, and Mortuary. Man, I have not – you know, I have the Vinegar Syndrome release for, for Liquid Sky long on my watch list, and I still have not seen it yet. Um, all right, so let's start off. So wait, when did all these come out? Christine came out in the 70s, actually. You know what's interesting? When did more? All right now, I got to check the, the Googles because when did Mortuary come out? Which features a young Bill Paxton? Uh, Mortuary film. Let's see here. We're gonna we're gonna find out right now. No, Mortuary came out in '83. Okay. So what about Star '80? Didn't come out in 1980, did it? Let's see. Star '80. Yeah, all these films also 1983. 
Inter very, very interesting. And Christine, when did Christine come out? It was also 80? Christine film. Yeah, it was also 83. Yeah, so Glenn, Glenn was doing this from 82 through 84. So for about two years, I think, from the, from the tail end of The Misfits through Sam Hain, he would review these films. Um, this is what he says about Christine. Um, which, by the way, I don't know when the last time you guys watched Christine. I watched it uh, not this year, but last year or two years ago for 31 Days of Halloween, which is something I do. I watch 31 horror movies in 31 days in October. Really, now it's it's just open. I, last year, this year with the pandemic, I did 62 movies in 31 days. Uh, it helps to be unemployed. Um, Christine really holds up from what I remembered it from as a child. It's a phenomenal Stephen King, John Carpenter collaboration. Uh, car comes to life. Car kills people. Ooh, scary. The only scary thing about this is that it made Stephen King even richer than he already is, thus provoking him to crank out more stupid stories, which will be made into stupider movies that tons of stupid people will pay to see. Even Carpenter couldn't save this one. Wow, he Glenn is such a Stephen King hater. Shame on you, Glenn. Come on, man. Christine's a classic. You know what it is? And again, like, he's just not even, like, looking at the merit of the film and, and, like, what's going on and the relationship between the car and the guy and the guy's transformation from a nerd into, like, a cool guy with a car. It's so good. Dude. He has no idea what he's talking about. Star 80. The Bob Posse cult film about the life and death of playmate Dorothy Stratton. Harry L. Hemingway is dead. Yuck, yuck. Ringer for Stratton which makes this much more believable than the TV exploitation version with Jamie Lee Curtis. This contains stuff you'd never see in a TV version, like nudity, language, and the murder-rape scene. Only it should have been more graphic. Star 80 is the best of the lot, and this time, uh, the best of the lot this time out, which isn't saying much. Too bad there wasn't a film like this about Marilyn. So there he's going. He's talking about Marilyn, baby. He's just mad that Marilyn has not gotten her due in a made-for-TV movie like Star 80. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about the Christine thing. If it comes to me, it comes to me. I'm going to open up my, my Virgil's Zero Sugar Root Beer. You get this for a buck twenty-five at Trader Joe's, a bottle. So if you're, if you're sugar-free, if you're trying to be sugar-free like me, check that out. Good stuff. Um, up next, we have Sudden Impact, Clint Eastwood film. Uh, never thought I'd be reviewing a Clint Eastwood flick, but it's uh, these aren't reviews. He's not reviewing these films, really. I mean, he kind of is, but he's really just, like, talking mad shit and then telling you whether you should see it or not. He's like, talking mad shit, not enough gore, too much, you know, whatever, and see this movie or don't see this movie. It's kind of these, – these reviews are kind of weak sauce. You know what? They're exactly what you would imagine a Glenn Danzig interview review would be, actually. Never mind. I take that back. Never thought I'd be reviewing a Clint Eastwood flick, but it's actually one of the better films this time out. Kind of predictable. But Eastwood has some good one-liners 
and he tracks down a killer whose victims all have their balls shot off. Lots of violence, too. Too bad it wasn't rated R instead of PG. Because you got to think when you're going going into the movie theater, you got to make sure that, you know, it's rated R so you can get the goods, I guess. <laughs> Ill says, Steve, Stephen King's Shining was some pretty awful footage. I wanted to splatter that kid in the hallway. Shining's a masterpiece. Um, again, there are some horror films that you don't need graphic violence to do the trick. Go watch The Battery, man. Go watch. I did a whole thing about The Battery and another. The Battery does so much without showing you a goddamn thing. You know, it allows the, the theater of the mind to run wild and, and do all the talking when you don't have the money to help you to do all the talking. I didn't realize it was going to be such a film uh, a film theme tonight from what I said at the opening of this episode about my, my, my own recent setbacks with my last film to talking about films within the context of Glenn Danzig reviewing them. What does he say about Liquid Sky? So Liquid Sky, I mean, for those of you who know, within cult film, you have the, the midnight movie. These are movies that played in theaters at midnight. Um, there's the only time that you could see them, and they were for a very special type of audience that understood these misunderstood films. And you had films that were just intentionally quirky and weird, and you had films that were unintentionally quirky and weird and both had the same sort of midnight cult status a great example is the room the room was not made to be a cult weird quirky midnight film it tries so hard not to be that it becomes that that's why you know people were when people were reviewing veronica they were talking about the room they were saying it's the room of horror movies which is was i thought was actually a really nice way to talk about a movie that was incredibly lacking for a lot of reasons um what does glenn have to say about liquid sky this is the underground rage in new york city at the moment right because at the time liquid sky was huge in the early 80s uh playing to sell out crowds so that's probably why he went to see it because you know he was tapped into that pulse <laughs> This is more hype than anything. So what's all the fuss about? It's just an artsy, fartsy, new wave piece of pap with a supposed chick cast, overacting boredom, and disgust for life. It tries to be about alien life form that feeds off their brains and in the moment of experiment, experiencing a heroin rush or orgasm. Blah, sorry, it's really hard to read this tiny print. Uh, I've been really improving with my reading on live streams, and today I'm not just not have not doing good. It tries to be about an alien life form that feeds off the brain at the moment of experiencing a heroin rush or orgasm, but then the dialogue and special effects or the lack of make this just another unbelievably terrible movie. The budget must have been minimal, as the flying saucer in this makes the one in Plan 9, look like the alien chip in Close Encounters. Even though this is an R, it contains little violence and no, not one speck of blood. So in two of these movie reviews, he's mentioned Marilyn Monroe and Plan 9. So it's like, that's kind of funny. 
He goes, and then the last thing he says about Mortuary, which I have seen, I saw it last year. He says, this sucks so bad that you can't believe you actually paid to see this crud, that you actually paid to see crud like this. There are no redeeming values in this one whatsoever. I would disagree. I would say there is redeeming value in it because it has Bill Paxton and Bill Paxton rules. Neil Breen films. Right on. All right, let's move on to the next one. This one looks like it was also redone. Um, Interesting selection of films, too. Uh, Okay. Gore, Gore, uh, The Gore by Glenn. This this title is called The Gore by Glenn. House by the Cemetery, uh, which is an Italian film. Good gore scenes, but not much else in this Italian import. More dumb people doing such incredibly dumb things that they deserve everything that they get. I hope some good movies come out uh, come out soon because I'm getting sick of all this scum. Because it's scum. Um, Stephen King's Children of the Corn. This was so unbelievably bad. It couldn't have been. He just, wow, once again, just ragging on Stephen King. This was so unbelievably bad. It could only have been a Stephen King movie. Murderous kids take over a small hick town by killing all the adults. Their leader is a wimpy little intellectual with the voice of a girl. Gore is non-existent as is most as is most King movies. By the time you read this, there will be yet another one in theaters of Stephen King. How depressing! So this is interesting though, because Stephen King is is like you know really like exploding in the late seventies, early eighties, and even you know everything that he writes is getting turned into a, a tradition that has you know, continued for the last 40 years, really, um, and and yielded many, many classic films, you know, films that are like institutions, you know what I mean? And yet at the time, Glenn just kind of, it almost seems like Glenn kind of looks at it in the way that maybe someone might think of, you know, uh, Stephen King as like Twilight or something like, oh, they're making another one of these things and it's so lame and blah, blah, blah. Like he just doesn't see the merit and revenants in Stephen King's work. I wonder what he thought of Cujo, much the way that, what's his face, uh, Chris was asking what he thought about Suspiria. What? Ricky thinks that my GD impression sounds like Trump. Is that true? I want a poll right now. Right now. That's not true. I do not sound like Donald Trump at all. Here's, Here's Donald Trump. Okay, it's really, really great. So what I'm just like an orange idiot. What I'm gonna do, Melania, Melania. This is we're just we're we're just conning all these people. Is what we're doing. We're just conning. Yeah, if you couldn't tell what how, where I lie politically, sorry, sorry out there. That's just the way it is. We don't have to talk politics on the show. We already did that episode with the Michael Graves episode. Melania, Melania. This is Glenn Danzig. Okay. This is how I do Glenn Danzig after he blew out his voice uh, around. This is like Glenn Danzig from 2004 on, okay? It's not Glenn from the 80s because I can't do Glenn from the 80s. And then, you know, this, this is, this is Donald Trump. No, sorry. Melania, Melania. This is very bigly, bigly, okay? Okay, it's what we're going to do. I think that's pretty, 
pretty big difference there. Which magazines were these reviews in? They were, uh, it was Flipside. Flipside. No wonder King went with the Ramones, right? Right? You would imagine that King would have hooked up with the Misfits. I wonder what Steve, talk about wondering. What does Stephen King think about the Misfits? Right? Anyway, moving on. Moving on here. Um, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I liked that one, the Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I like the, that's part of the ta Tommy Jarvis trilogy, as I would learn. And I, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. Um, he says, what is the fi final chapter is part four, right? Or part five. Yeah, part four. And then a new, right. It would have to be part four because it's 1980. So this is actually, this, this, this was written in 1984, I think. Lots of silly teen sex scenes, lots of violence, but the gore scenes are always extremely short. Three to four seconds apiece, if even that. Like, what does he want? Does he, does he want no story? Does he just want a continuous? Why does he just watch Faces of Death or, or, or the guinea pig series? I wonder what Glenn Danzig thinks of the guinea pig series. Holy crap. Again, lots of dumb jerks doing uh, dumb things in order to get snuffed by Jason. Yep, Jason's back, and he really dies in this, but there will most likely be a sequel. If you've seen any of the other parts, you really don't need to see this. And it's so funny. Like, it's amazing to think at the time that this was called the final chapter and that on some level it was being amped as the final Jason film. How wrong, how so very wrong we all were, or they all were, whatever. Suburbia. Love this film, Suburbia. Let's see what he says about Suburbia. Um, Pod says, more drawn-out violence. <laughs> uh, the MPAA cut lots of gore short in all the Friday 13th. Yeah, man, they really did. That was the, you know, I was saying, Chris, I don't know if you were here earlier when I said it. I watched all of the Friday the 13th, some of which, for some of them, have about half of them, for the first time last year. And that was the thing that blew me away more than anything. They were not gory at all. As a matter of fact, it, they seemed very sanitized. And I think you just explained why. That's exactly the reason why. Okay, Suburbia. This was made by P Penelope Spears, who did the decline, and Corman's former company, New World. Just another reason why this reminds uh, me of AIP's teen hippie flicks of the 60s, Wild in the Streets, run it out. Wild in the Streets and Wyatt on Sunset Strip. I mean, that's essentially what I, I that's essentially what that is. Like suburbia is just Corman's attempt at once again trying to cash in on the latest teenage subculture. And in the 60s, it was the hippie stuff and suburbia. We didn't get as many punk films as we got like hippie films in the 60s or, you know, surf teen teen surf flicks, which are all carry in the same tradition as the rock and roll movies of the 50s, like, you know, like uh, Rock Around the Clock and yada, 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 like that, which were really nothing more than show showcases for what was happening in the 50s, like, you know, music-wise, the, the, the teen phenomenons. This is much, he called, this is very interesting how he puts this, he's right. This is much an exploitation film as it is an attempt to take punk a little more seriously. 
Unfortunately, this movie does more harm than good. People will see this and say, all punks are like this. You can probably expect a few more team punk flicks to come out soon, but don't expect any authenticity. Spheres tried but failed in uh, failed to maintain in suburbia. They'll be even cornier than this one. And this was fucking corny. All responsible for this deserve a slow and very painful death. And then he wrote, no room, no room for a review, but go see Spinal Tap. Lots of yucks. So he likes Spinal Tap. But he's, I mean, he's kind of, he was kind of right. At films that came along, not much. She would return, John Cryer actually stars in this film called Dude. Dudes. And it's just about a bunch of punks that go on a road trip. The uh, punks that go on a road trip after their friend died. And the villain is played by Lee Vick, actually, funny enough. But uh, I love Suburbia. I love it for the performances in it, the, the music performances. Uh, you have a super young TSOL, one of my favorite fucking bands. I love TSOL so much. And he is, uh, they, they, they just, again, I, I, you know how much I love TSOL because at the beginning of this video, I talked about how my song, uh, my, my film is, is named after the song Wash Away which is uh, from the TSOL album Beneath the Shadows, which in turn um, was some of the material that they had just done when they did this film Suburbia. Uh, and they play, Wash Away is actually played in the film Suburbia, as well as uh, a track that never made it to the album called Darker My Love. Two phenomenal TSOL songs, phenomenal film. Check that out. Speaking of Wash Away, I got Jack Grisham to sign my VHS copy of Suburbia uh, with the new wave co uh, cover, stoked. Uh, Jack is an awesome, awesome dude. I've crossed paths with him several times in various different ways. And uh, I just, uh, I really appreciate uh, Jack a lot. I think he's a great guy, uh, you know, crazy guy, you know, uh, uh, you know, all, all over the place and whatnot, but an awesome dude, an awesome dude. And in many ways, um, I hate to use this word, not, not, uh, uh, just, uh, an influence. I would say he's an influence of mine in many ways. This would be a good way to put it. Um, so yeah, I like suburbia. Let's see what else it says. Let's go to the next one. Holy crap. I don't know if I can read all. Oh, he does do Cujo. Well, we got to see what he says about Cujo. Is there another one? After? Oh, well, that one I can't. Whoa, Ghostbusters. All right. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Let's start over here. All right, so he talks about Jaws, ready? And you know what I'm gonna do? Because I really cannot see. So what I'm gonna do is I'm actually copying and pasting this. I'm gonna read it right in front of me so I can see it better, maybe? Nope, I can't see it at all. That's really annoying. How annoying is that? All right, we'll just, we'll just make do here. Let's just make do. Uh, so this is what Glenn says about Jaws. Uh, this could have ruled. With the large audience for gore, with the large audience for gore combined with Jaws fan. Oh, maybe this is talking about Jaws the Revenge. No, 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 no. This would be Jaws 3, actually, but he just writes Jaws. This could have ruled. Uh, what with the large audience for gore combined with Jaws fans, we might have finally gotten a good taste of true underground horror. Uh, sorry, true underseas horror. Uh, what you get is a love story in 3D. Wow. Wow-wee. 
Not much of Jaws in this, but there is one good scene where Jaws eats a guy and you see it from the inside of the shark. Pretty cool, but not worth the price of admission. All right, this is going to be really tough to read. I'm going to try my best. Yeah, Jaws 3 is hated by a lot of, I mean, not hated, but people think it's just an incredibly corny movie. Those effects don't, don't uh, hold up at all, starring a very young Dennis Quaid. Uh, I think this film actually came out in 82, not 83. And the original title, when Joe Dante was going to direct it, it was called Jaws 3 People Zero. It was supposed to be more of a parody film. And yes, there is a really good scene of a dude getting eaten by Jaws at the very end, uh, where he's eaten from the inside. It's perspective that you never get to see, um, especially in later films when, when the shark attack is always uh, super like impromptu. Right, yeah, Louis, Ga Louis, Louis Goss Jr. gets eaten. Right, Jaws 3D, exactly. No, he, that's not the one though, Rue. It's the, it's the hunter guy in the red jumpsuit. Uh, he's the guy they pull. Matter of fact, the reason why they're able to defeat the, the shark is he, he has a grenade, a flash grenade in, leaves a flash grenade in Jaws' mouth. He's like halfway caught in Jaws' mouth after he's already been eaten, like his half of his body is in there. And, and Dennis Quaid pulls the pin and causes Jaws to explode. Spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen it. Ha, 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 ha. All right, this next one is Easy Money. Oh, right, at least one good... At least one good flick this summer. What can I say about Rodney Dangerfield except that he is one of the funniest comics ever? I mean, this is so cool because, like, you know, where are you going to get this kind of commentary outside of, like, a real film critic? Like, here you have, like, a punk rock singer-songwriter reviewing films. Like, it's pretty awesome when you think about it. Um if you don't crack up just looking at him, say about Ronnie Dangerfield, uh, you probably wear clothes your mom your mom buys you and read Einstein's theory of relativity for a good laugh. So put down that book, get a few friends together, and go roll on the floor of your local movie house. This is your only chance to laugh this summer. Talking about easy money. All right, Cujo. Let's see what he says about Cujo. I'm very curious because... So far, what we creep show, he hated creep show, he hated Christine, and he hated Children of the Corn. He, he for someone who does not like Stephen King and, and really uh, takes every chance he can, uh, can to take a pot shot at him, he sure loves spending money on Stephen King films. Maybe he's eternally optimistic. Oh, we have two Stephen King films here. Let's see what he says. Okay, it would be easy to call this one the dog of the month, but this goes beyond bad. Written by Stephen, I wish I could write a great horror movie king. This one is, that is really rich, Glenn, that you even said that. Come on, dude. Um, he goes, this one is so hokey, it's beyond belief. And I paid five bucks to see this crud. Ooh, five whole dollars. I paid five bucks to see this crud. The monster is a Saint Bernard. Yep, that's right, a dog. And I'll bet you're scared already, right? No story, no blood, no sex. So why an R rating? To make you think you're gonna, to make you think you're gonna see something you never get to see. This one is a bore, not gore. Um, and I think he's just incredibly wrong. Listen, Glenn, Glenn can be wrong a lot. 
was wrong about a lot of stuff. This one is Metal Storm 3D. A feeble attempt to cash in on the popularity of the Road Warrior. Good 3D, but the story is just so thin and boring, and it just drags. Uh, the war vehicles and battle gear, battle gear are so phony looking. Fuck, this film really doesn't make it at all. What is missing in this movie is the heart and realism and the believability that made The Road Warrior such a great epic. The reason I compare Metal Storm to The Road Warrior is because it's such a blatant rip, complete with lookalike Mad Max that was obviously made only for one reason, money. See, that's what happened after Mad Max. Really Mad Max. It was Mad Max and it was also The Road Warrior. These two films in tandem with one another, despite some years apart, two years apart, 79 was Mad Max was being made made and released, and, and Road Warrior came out in 81. And after that, in Italy, mainly in Italy, but all over the place, just exploded with Mad Max clones. It's the same thing with the New York Dolls and all the hair metal bands. Think about it in the same way. You have the New York Dolls come in and do this incredibly original thing, and then every band for the next decade would rip them off, not give them any credit, and make billions off of their concepts. And it's the same thing that happened with The Road Warrior, but in a much less tragic way, I would think, than what happened to the New York Dolls, who never made the money that they should have made. I, man, I, I think you're right about that. Okay, let's see what the next one is. Another. Okay, so now the dead zone. First off, let me say, I am not fond of Stephen King movie, uh, if Stephen King's movie work except for Carrie. So he does like Carrie. That's funny. But the dead zone has a lot of good going for it and a good cast. Christopher Walken, Martin Sheen, etc., And a great director, David Cronenberg. All the more reason that this is... A letdown. Ooh, ouch. Stephen King, takes a, Stephen King takes a good story and makes it silly and unbelievable after he has already developed its credibility. Dead Zone did not cut it for me. Uh, let's see what he says about Pieces, which is absolutely people love, 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 love Pieces, which is an Italian like grindhouse exploitation classic that is supposed to take place in America. And so they have like all these like awkward, funny things that they're trying to set dress to make it seem like it is America. Pod says, what does Pod say? The Dolls was one of the most underrated, underappreciated bands ever. Could not agree more. And it's a crime that the Dolls are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's a crime that they had to wait to even be nominated. Uh, they had to wait for Sylvain Sylvain to die in order to be nominated. What an insult to the to the memory of Sylvain Sylvain. You should have lived to see it. And that's it. That's right, Chris. The ice is going to break. Pieces. Pieces is your typical cut-up people. Sorry. Yeah. Pieces is your typical cut-up people and make one body from all the pieces hence the title you actually could have seen city of the walking dead or any of the others 
in my reviews. Pieces has gore and it's kind of funny. What would the horror film be without Ed Gein? Wow. So he's just given all the credit to the Geenster. Um, City of the Walking Dead. This is another another Italian classic. Uh, I don't know if I've seen City of the Walking Dead. Uh, he says, this is another... Oh, I have... Yes, I have City of the Walking Dead on VHS, actually. This is another Radiation Brings the Dead to Life movie. Uh, well, I can't read, dude. I'm trying to read this. But dead, blah, 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 can run... Uh, they can run really fast and they can use their guns. Okay. Great special effects in this one too. As they are using liquid jello for blood. And just to make the dead look sort of dead, they just, they use stuff. You know, City of the Walking Dead sounds a lot like Nightmare City, which technically has the first running zombies. But I didn't think they ever really much looked like zombies to begin with. Oh, maybe... It's Night of the Zombies I'm thinking of. Huh. I get nothing here I haven't seen a hundred times before. Uh, and at least one million times better. Makes Night of the Zombies look like a classic. So now he talks about Night of the Zombies. Uh, radiation again breaks out to create, I think actually I have Night of the Zombies, not City of the Walking Dead. I, I recognize the art. Because you're right, it also has radiation as well. So there's two radiation films, uh, Italian films. It's really not good. Some plot sequences and situations uh, are not a living dead exactly. The producers also use the soundtrack to Dawn of the Dead by Goblin. That's right, Goblin. Prague rock instrumental group Goblin did the soundtrack for Dawn of the Dead. And Suspiria as well. They liked working with uh, Dario Argento. Uh, nothing here. All right, we already read that. I can't read this. It's like just so blurry and it's hurting my eyes. Uh, there is also some National Geographic footage of cannibalism and natives eating maggots from corpses. Real stuff. Not blah, 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 blah. I can't, I can't read it, guys. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Um, let's see. <laughs> Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is trash. I agree, man. It is. It is. It's just trash. By the way, if you're just joining us, please consider subscribing to my channel. It's the best way to support the channel. Like, leave a comment, subscribe. Uh, lots of ways to support. Check out the, the description. Rent one of my movies. Yada, yada, yada. Rue says, maybe Steve King left Glenn standing in the rain while waiting for an autograph. <laughs> maybe. Uh, Stephen King is a force of nature, or should I say a natural element of man. He really is. And he really is just another horror kid. Read, check out Under the Dome. That's a good one. I really like Under the Dome. Uh, Dan says he writes the way a New Jersey guy speaks. He sure does, man. He sure does. I think we're, we're reaching the end here. Oh, I'm not even going to try. He reviews Gremlins, but I can't even read that. Oh, he does review Repo Man and Ghostbusters. And then he has a whole thing here about how to dub videos, which I find to be incredibly, Glenn Danzig, you're a hypocrite. How dare you write about how to dub videos, but you get mad when people upload um, cell phone video of you to the computer. 
Oh my God. Oh, all right. Check this out. I actually have the text right here. All right. I'm going to read this because I have the text. Um, thank goodness our, our friend, the, uh, the, the, uh, the fiend crypt man uh, tra uh, transcribed it for us, okay? So this is Gremlins. Another shocker for the kiddies. Tons of stuff here to make them gasp in their seats. It's also got a cutesy side, but overall a way above average film and cute little pets uh, that when fed after midnight become cackling, murderous, mischievous devils. Directed by Joe Dante, who did Piranha and The Howling. And we know that Glenn loved The Howling. This more than lives up to its hype. Gore fans take note, including exploding gremlin in a microwave and another shoved in a blender. Mom would definitely want the sweet innocence to see this one. So he loved gremlins. And I mean, gremlins is a classic, although I love gremlins too as well. Not just gremlins. Let's see what he says about Repo Man, who, you know, Black, who features his songs by his, uh, a song by the, his compatriots, uh, Black Black. Repo Man. Let's see if he mentions the soundtrack. Uh, the, the surprise of the summer and the year for that matter. A punker becomes a car repossession agent, hence the title. He starts wearing a suit and tie and his friends reject him and he gets involved in a CIA manhunt for dead and radioactive aliens stashed in the trunk of a car. The CIA has offered $20,000 for the repo of this terminally radioactive vehicle. Ton of great lines and a great soundtrack. I think this was financed by ex-monkey Mike Nesmith. If so, it is great too, and that someone still believes in film, that film can be great. This is already available on video. So this by, so now we're in 1984. Ghostbusters, Repo Man, and Gremlins all came out in 84. So this is like the tail end of his researching, research. Who knew that Glenn Danzig did a, who did a review about the Ghostbusters. He says, anytime, anytime, anywhere, anytime of day, they'll entrap, they'll entrap your evil entity. If you haven't seen this by now, you're losing it. Of course, Bill Murray is hilarious, and much of Ghostbusters centers around his irresponsible ego. But Aykroyd, Ramis, Moranis, etc., all combined heavy, uh, heavily to this laugh fest. The scene with the giant puffed marsh Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man had us laughing nonstop for five minutes. Great special effects, great jokes, great film. Nuff said. Awesome. So Glenn loves Ghostbusters. All right. Then he does this thing: how to dub videos. Glenn, you are. So, I, I'm. I'm shocked, Glenn. I am just. I'm so disappointed. Let's see what Glenn Danzig has to say about pirating. Let's see what he says. But before, hold on. First, um, after Glenn. Dude, can I can I be honest? Like, what is what is the deal? It's not just you. It's not just you. I've noticed that several places, people are obsessed with his nose job. He got a nose job. I mean, fine. So what? Like, I mean, <laughs> whatever. It's like I, I don't know. When it comes to physical stuff, you know, I really don't harp in too much on that. Yes, I talked about how Doctor Chud is bald, but you know. I, I saw somebody making fun of, you know, the fact that I it's either was him or Michael Graves. Somebody has like an eye thing where they, they don't, it doesn't look like they're looking at you. And I just thought in my head, I was like, why? Why even talk about that stuff? It's just like, it's just stuff that people can't help. It has nothing to do with anything. You know, you can't help that you have a big nose. 
get a nose job. I'll tell you, before I got fat and I had fat, pudgy cheeks, this nose, the schnozola, looked huge on my face. I was very self-conscious about it because I used to get made fun of a lot. The kids called me Gonzo. And so I can understand a little bit of that. But I, dude, I don't know anything. I'm not going to comment on the nose. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I don't know whether you're right or wrong. <laughs> you know what? I like your answer here. He got Hollywood. Exactly. That's it. Love the Gremlins, but I'm surprised that he trashed Christine and Creepshow. I would have thought that he found Gremlins corny. Yeah. Who, who would have thought? Love Repo Man and Suburbia. Yeah, man. All, all great films. I'm, I'm shocked by the amount of films that GD has, um, GD has made. Uh, GD has reviewed, I should say. All right. How to dub videos. Uh, he says, there's been such a drop in the amount of movies to review that a video and movie column seems more appropriate. Interesting. Some movies have simultaneous video release and some never make it out to a theater, but do make it to video. This is literally, he's talking about the dawn of the straight to home video, which is just like incredible. He goes, as prices on decks decline, more people are turning to video. So now this is interesting. I didn't, I mean, I'm glad that we have this stuff here. Um, he says, the average price of a video is $40 a piece, but if you rent and dub, it is much cheaper. And you can create your own copy for the price of a rental. So you can bootleg, Glenn. You can bootleg movies. Glenn Danzig. That's so funny. He says, you can own a copy for the price of a rental and a blank tape, about $10. Two decks are required to make a dub tape. So if you bring your deck over to patch in at your friend's deck, you can also split rental costs. It's relatively simple. Two decks, any format beta to beta, VHS to beta, etc. A set of dubbing cables and you're ready. When getting dubbing cables, make sure you get the ones that will do any format combination. It's just like dubbing cassette copies. Cables go from the deck playing the original, video out, audio out, to the deck making the dub, video in, audio in. Some of you might be saying, fuck, I know this already, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't know that videos can be dubbed. Have fun. And by the way, this is technically illegal. <laughs> you know, I mean, but that's the thing. The ambiguity. See, here's what's fascinating. This is absolutely fascinating to me. Like literally, Rue, How to Dub Videos by Glenn Danzig. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, here's, what, here's what really fascinates me. Here's a guy that rails and, 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 and moans when people bootleg his stuff because they're making money off of him. But he does the exact same thing. This is like an ongoing thing that I've noticed with musicians and filmmakers where one doesn't respect the art and craft of the other and takes it for granted. And I, I can speak to this personally, but I'm not going to. But it's just funny how that happens so often. And one complains about, hey, you know, I'm being ripped off and crying and then goes and does the exact same thing to the other guy. We're all artists here and we all need to hold each other up and support each other's endeavors to the best of our abilities. You know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't learn the error of my ways many, 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 many years ago. But it's just funny how 
people bemoan Napster and downloading it again, I think that's terrible. I don't do that stuff. I like to support bands. Um, I used to do it many, 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 many years ago at the dawn of Napster. I think we all did. And I know it's wrong. It's not right. You know, you want if you want artists to create art, you have to support them. Support them by pre-ordering stuff and buying stuff. Go to the shows, buy the merch. You know, the same thing for filmmakers. You like a filmmaker, order their movie, rent their film, share something, yada, yada, yada. But it's just funny how, like, one guy will complain about it and then, you know, write an article about, like, dubbing stuff in the freaking magazine. Teach all these other kids how to do it. Now, was dubbing, did dubbing cause a, lo a loss of revenue? I don't actually know. I don't know what the figures were back then. Um, did pirating music cause a loss of revenue? Yes, in a big, bad way. It, it surely did. But is it a continuation of that dubbing trend of making a cassette copy trend of making a VHS tape or burning a DVD? 100%. It's just the next logical conclusion. However, it's far more damaging because of the technological advances. And this is why I rally against it now and why I'm so against it as opposed to the other stuff, which was analog. Back in the day, if you're not doing like a big bootlegging operation, which is also super highly illegal, it was really hard to make a copy for a lot of different people or, you know, it, it required overhead. In the age of digital, with, with pirating, with digital pirating, there's no overhead. The, and you can make as many copies as you want. You can spread it. You can do serious, serious damage by sharing someone's intellectual property it's a little bit different in the analog age because if you're making a cassette copy, yes, they're losing that revenue that they would have gotten had they bought something from you. But like generally speaking, the person who's making that copy is making one copy for themselves or dubbing the copy for a couple of friends. It's not like seeding on the World Wide Web for tens of thousands of people. It's just that's the difference. The digital stuff, it's just on such a bigger scale and that's why some people use the old school you know stuff as a reason for why you know the digital stuff is okay i don't think it's okay you know what i mean it just doesn't it just doesn't work but yes i have to say glenn is a bit of a hypocrite i i, I have to say even back then even in the analog age in the 90s was like i won't, won't sign this bootleg like Super against bootlegs, but here he is booting. He's booting uh, tapes that he rents. Maybe his justification is that he's supported by renting the tape, and he's making one copy for himself. Again, that is a such a lesser evil, like a far cry from illegally downloading something on Napster and then seeding it to tens of thousands of people. That is like massive, massive, widespread copyright infringement and at the end of the day as much as we break their balls for it metallica was right they were right look now look where we are now it was all fun and games and now everything's shutting down and yes you can blame amazon and yes you can blame there's so many things to blame but if you don't think that that and then here's the other thing too this has also given rise to stuff like spotify which is an incredible service that 
is wonderful for musicians if it would just pay more royalties, meaning that they've cracked the code. They figured out how to deter pirating. How do you deter pirating? Make the catalogs widely available, do a subscription fee, and pay the artists so that they can get paid. They'll even promote your platform to their audience because they know they're going to get paid. Everybody wins. The only person, the only thing that that doesn't work with this equation is, you know, you have to pay the artists more. The artists don't shouldn't be getting fractions of pennies. But however, if you're gonna listen to an artist's music on YouTube versus Spotify, listen to it on Spotify because at least if you're listening to it on Spotify, they are getting something as opposed to listening to the random stranger who uploaded an album to YouTube, you know, that that the artist isn't going to make anything off of that. Well, they might if if the content ID picks it up. But if not, then they're not going to make nothing. You know, on several of my live videos where it gets ID'd, I have I have split. It's split between me and the artist. You know, like a great example, all of my Doyle videos that are monetized, I split the revenue with Doyle. So like Doyle gets a half of my thing. It's whatever the, the content ID allows for it, that's what I do. I just split it. That's how, you know, it works. Um, man, that was a long tangent, but I don't know. Let me let me go. Let's 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 go look at all the comments. Whew, I'm getting tired of talking. Um I bet Henry got him. Uh, I'm bootlegging Veronica. That's right. <laughs> Don't bootleg my shows, but someone else's movie, screw them. That's right, man. I mean, like, what the hell? What the hell, Glenn? You know, uh, not paying 35 bucks for Veronica. Um, in his defense, selling bootlegs seems worse than taping a song for yourself. It, right. I, I just explained that. This comment probably happened while I was explaining. I'm not going to explain it again, but yes. There's a huge difference. He is being a hypocrite, but there is absolutely a huge difference between the digital version or even like a bootlegging operation and making a personal copy for yourself. I agree. Um, I guess one is a big corporate monster and the musician is a struggling artist. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That, that too. You know, people hate on Spotify for fucking over the artists and whatnot, but you want to know who, you know, the, 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 it's not the, it's not Spotify that that's not paying them enough money. They should be getting more money from Spotify anyway, but it's also the record companies. Like so often you, what you don't hear about when people are complaining, they're, they're, they're complaining about the record companies getting a big piece of their streaming royalties you know, that's where it's going. There is money. It's not a lot of money, but there is some money. When you start to get into the hundreds of millions of streams, even, you know, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of millions of streams or billions of streams, as some artists do, um, you start to get a little chunk of change. It may not be a lot, but you're starting to get thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. If you sign the right kind of sync license deal, maybe a couple of of million but do you think it's going to the artist no it's going to the record labels and that's what they do they're just those those greedy middleman motherfuckers that just literally don't do anything at this point they're like give us a piece of your of of your merch sales on the road we get five percent 
um, a hail, Mr. Anzalone is a bit of he is man he is we we would be we would be bootlicking misfits nerds with no balls if we did not call out the hypocrisy here no matter how much we love grumpy Uncle Glenn. I'll pay a fucking price for a new Misfits album. Yeah, full price. Yeah, so would I, man. So would I. I would. Matter of fact, I edited the entire Denver Riot Fest show. It's been there's a 90 minute concert documentary documentary of that of the Riot Fest show. You can see the intro to it somewhere on this channel. Glenn had Uncle Glenn had it all taken get down because I used cell phone footage from the show, and I just kind of think it's kind of funny. It wasn't even like. You know, it was just on a YouTube. Dude. It wasn't even being sold. Like that's what's so hilarious to me. Uh, Warfrat sixty-eight. Kind of hard to buy a legit copy when Sam Hain or Danzig doesn't write. He just doesn't repress his records. The 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 sob. He's really got to get on that. I mean, he's just losing money by the tons. Bootleg is the only option unless you want to pay outrageous prices on Discogs or eBay. So here's my stance on this. I, the, Warf, Warfrat 68 brings up a wonderful point here. So I'm gonna I'm just going to put this out on the line as well. And it's the same thing I feel about movies at this point. This is my, where I ethically draw a line. If a movie is out of print, if a record is out of print, if there's no way to legally obtain the move, the, the 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 creative endeavor at a reasonable price, and you are able to purchase a bootleg or watch it on YouTube or you know stream it. However, I I say that's fair game. I say why keep the you're, you're gonna not keep the art away simply because it's out of print and you refuse to reprint it. That's just gonna happen. The market's gonna find itself. You know what I mean? Or the uh, um, uh, the ground, water will find its level. Somebody will bootleg it and somebody will make some money off of it. You know, uh, in my case, I didn't want to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for Misfits 7 Inches. So what I have is I have an entire collection, just about every single Misfits boot, uh, 7 Inch, all the 7 Inches, because I love the art so much. They're, they're reproduced. I got them at like Reckless Records in Chicago and yada, 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 and Generation Records in New York City. And they sell them for super cheap. And, you know, under 10 bucks for, for six bucks, you can get the, the Bullet EP or the Horror Business EP or yada, yada, yada. And you can hold the art in your hand and play the record. And, you know, is it worth a billion dollars? No, of course not. But you know what? I, I don't have five grand or 10 grand or whatever grand to pay for a single seven inch. I just don't, I just don't have it anymore. So I think there's, there is some wiggle room here and it's very subjective and it's very, it's a case by case basis. You know, I always prefer a physical copy over a digital copy. I mean, me too. Who wants, I mean, I want the tangible thing. This is what Jerry only strives for. And we talked about this in, in one of the Jerry only interview episodes, by the way, we got a, do 2013 now that we've done 2003 uh we got we 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 revisit jerry only every 10 years and see where he's at we did 1983 we did 1993 and we did 2003 now we have to do 2013 by the way if you are just joining us please like share please subscribe to my channel that would be really helpful click on the ads let the ads play rent a movie buy a coffee go to the website click on the adsense but most of all, if you could just subscribe, you'd be doing me a great big favor. Show that you you like this stuff. Um, 
so yeah i'll always prefer a physical copy um totally agree with that uh why is only half of danzig's albums on spotify that has to do probably with with because here's the thing when you're an artist you can own the publishing there's a difference between owning the publishing and then there is the master recording license i think or the master rights you know there's various different rights i'm probably not saying it right but basically like or you might own the publishing of the song or own the song and a record label could own your master rights which means they get to decide how and when they press stuff up if something goes out of print and they decide they don't want to repress it they can shelve it they can they they own that right to do that and, and then you have stuff like for instance mechanical royalties if you played on this record you were entitled to a very small royalty um but you know for instance think about all those bands in the 90s when stuff went platinum you know or triple platinum or whatever yada 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 like a band like sublime you know the, the the drummer bud guy he didn't write any of those songs but like you got to think that he's getting that mechanical royalty on six million six million units sold you know i think he maybe might have written a few songs i don't know who knows um my point i don't know what my point was i, I got so lost and tangled in conversation that oh yes about why only half the albums are on spotify it's probably that might have something to do with it because you know the again like he has a falling out with rick rubin rick rubin owns a bunch of the recordings you know like you can own the recording of the song like the classic recording of the song the mixing and the mastering and all that jazz and the the actual physical copy of the song might not belong to you and you might not be able to do anything with it but you might own the publishing you can re-record the song yourself and then own the fit that physical version of the song you know uh, a great example in the misfits world a great example of this would be actually again we've talked about michael graves several times tonight michael graves did redid a bunch of his misfits songs because he doesn't own the he doesn't get, own the right or the publishing or something i don't know he re-recorded a bunch of songs that he now owns those masters of those songs as opposed to not owning the masters of anything from american psycho or famous monsters something like that um but i think that's actually a pretty good example of that sort of situation um that was you i love that video uh, are you referring to the Riot Fest video? If so, yes, that was me. I'm I'm glad you you've you've seen it, and it's it's out there somewhere in the ether if you can find it. Yes, I I edited that together. I've told the story several times. I don't uh, very quickly. I I ripped a ton of people's cell phone videos, 144, and I sunk them all up into a single feature, and it's the closest thing you're going to get right now to a live riot fest misfits reunion uh show that you can find incomplete uh, uh or incompletion i should say the sound is something left to be desired and the quality is really crappy but it is presented in 720p and i did the best i could with the materials i had at the time it was a really fun challenge didn't taylor swift do that um are you referring to spotify or a live show not sure what you're saying um Dan says, back in 2015, Glenn talked about reissuing his albums, but only five through Circle of Snakes, and then Who Killed Marilyn? Yes, I remember reading that interview. Yeah, nothing ever happened. Who knows, man? He probably got all caught up with Veronica, and it just didn't go down. You know, that's that's what that's what happens. I would love a physical copy of Necro's 
conquest for death on vinyl kind of pricey these days though but that's what i'm saying you want to own this record it costs a lot of money and if you're in a record store and you see a bootleg and again i would love the necros to be supported I'd love todd swallow to get get some loot but it's like you know how is he going to get some loot if he doesn't put out new versions of that record and who knows what their the necros situation was regarding that it might not be todd swallow's fault or maybe todd swallow wants to happen who knows who knows the deal never trust a man named after a sandwich <laughs> benedict arnold um do we have any more of these things i don't know let's let's see what we're, we're gonna probably wind down here a little bit oh there is more oh he did mad max beyond thunderdome yes wow okay check this out he was doing this as late as 1985 i had no idea so he did it through the sam hayne years like that huh all right let's see what let's see what he says about mad max beyond thunderdome when i heard that brian kennedy the man behind max had died well george miller is the man behind max but brian kennedy was a producer he was the heart if 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 uh he was definitely part of the heart and soul um, when I heard that Brian Kennedy, the man behind Max, had died, but uh, production on Max 3 was to continue, I had my doubts. Well, I was half wrong. This new Max is great for the first 30 or 40 minutes, right up until he's expelled from Bardetown, the first town of the new civilization. But then it's downhill, as Max meets up with a bunch of little kids and plays daddy. So to salvage this film... It comes well. So to salvage this film, in comes the end sequence, which is a total rehash of the end chase scene from Max Two, The Road Warrior. Tina Turner is not as bad as most movie critics say, and this flick still outshines the other, the other something floating around here, like the next film up. Uh oh. So he was not happy with Day of the Dead. Uh oh. Wow, so he reviewed Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and he said it wasn't half bad. I have to tell you, I think, real quick, I think Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is a phenomenal film. I love it. I've always loved it. It does have a little bit of return to the Jedi syndrome. The uh, Instead of Ewoks, you get a bunch of little kids in the crack of the earth. But it's also kind of cool because they form a religion around Max, and then they have to go and find they have to go back to barter town because some of the kids leave to go you know whatever back into the wasteland the desert and they go back to barter town and then they they take off and 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 head to the ruins of sydney australia it's a wonderful film it's got a lighter kid friendly tone to it but the first 30 to 40 minutes he's right the first 30 to 40 minutes are pretty brutal man as a matter of fact i would say the first 30 to 40 minutes kind of play like a fusion cross between a Western, it's like a Western noir. So it's like film, it's like post-apocalyptic Western film noir, where a man with no name wanders into a town looking for his horses, aka his camels and his wagon, and gets involved in the film suddenly switches into a like a political thriller in the sense that you have um Auntie played by Tina Turner, who's in a power struggle with Master Blaster, which is this dude. He's like, he's like, uh, uh, he's a small person on top. That's Master, and then Blaster is this this guy who has uh, Down syndrome of some kind, who, who rides 
let's master ride piggyback. What a fun, interesting concept. And then in order to defeat him, he's essentially uh, uh, becoming an assassin. In order to defeat him, has to has to do it in one on one combat in a in a, in a giant iron thunderdome. And the reason why is because their the society is sick of of people of sending people to war you know to fight for one person's agenda now people settle their agendas in the thunderdome it's a it's an anti-war you know situation and they live in this brutal society that has to be brutal for the sake of keeping civilization going because civilization is never going to work unless there's some sort of iron will in place to literally push it through the pig shit so and it's just i just love it man it's got a soft place in my heart for for that film love it um re-recorded her work due to royalties that's awesome i did not know that she did that and that is freaking awesome and that's exactly right pot she probably owned so she probably owned the songs and she wasn't getting royalties or didn't want something with royalties and she re-recorded the song. And now people, if she says, hey, buy this version of the song, she will get paid for it. You know what I mean? Yes, Miller only directed, co-directed Thunderdome with this other George, I forget his last name, because he was so depressed. Miller is only responsible for all the car chase scenes. He was so depressed after Byron's untimely death that he actually um, sort of like, like took a giant step back and let this other dude sort of like help him with the directing duties. Very sad, very sad, but I still love beyond Thunderdome moving on. All right. I'm, I'm shuddering. I love day of the dead. I, I love day of the dead for so many reasons. And I'm shuddering uh, uh, as I think, what, what, what does, what does Glenn Danzig think of day of the dead? He writes, Supposedly the sequel to end all sequels. Don't bet on it. Built for years by Romero to be the living dead film to end all living dead films. The dead will finally meet the living on uh, in one giant battle for control of the earth. Too bad that's not what this film was about. Dawn of the Dead was epic compared to this. Again, we get a handful of individuals in an isolated in isolation fending off the dead. The special effects were good, but someone should tell Savini that dried up reanimated corpses do not bleed profusely when vivisected. No plot and the laughable dialogue. This was the biggest disappointment of the year. Beware. There will most definitely be a sequel. So Glenn was wrong. Glenn was wrong for in so many, for so many reasons in regards to this movie. One, um, he, pro uh, first of all, I, I'm shocked that he's like bummed out about like, like he's, he's like, yeah, there's good gore, but like not like uh, nothing satisfies him. Like, come on, dude. You know, Glenn three years ago or two years ago, would be like, yeah, it's great. There's all this gore. Go see it. Ah, you know, and now it's all of a sudden it's about plot and story. So, you know, we can never win. I think ultimately he spent years reading about day of the dead and what Romero had planned for Day of the Dead initially and was super let down by what he got. Because here's the truth. The version that Romero wanted to make uh, versus the version that Romero uh, got to make are two completely different 
scales and scopes. He had such an epic, huge thing planned for Day of the Dead. It was so much bigger. It involved training the zombies as well and yada, yada, yada. And there's these zombies in orange jumpsuits that are trained to be in this army. Um, and lots of details leaked. And then what happened was his budget got cut in half. And he was forced to rewrite the movie to make sense for the budget that he that he has. Now, I heard something very interesting from Mark Duplass, and I think totally agree with it. And I think this is how anybody should approach production. Are you an artist? You're going to appreciate this. Ready? Mark Duplass was mentoring this, this person for a micro-budget film. They had... $20,000, but the script they had, sorry, they had $50,000, but the script was written uh, to be like a $250,000 film. And you ask, well, how do you qualify that? You just do. There are ways, you just take a look, you budget everything, you look at what is in the script, and you go, oh, okay, this cannot be done for any less than this amount of money. And so, Mark Duplass said one of the most brilliant things that he could have said to this young uh, up and coming filmmaker. He said, here's what you're going to do. You, the movie that you have written on the page right now is a $250, $250,000 movie. What I want you to do is I want you to go, but you, all you have is $50,000. I want you to go back and rewrite this script so that it can be made for $25,000, right? She's basically telling him to, to rewrite the script uh, so that it can be made with one-tenth of the money. And then we're going to give you $50,000 so that your $25,000 project looks like it had double the money thrown at it. And what that is right there, what I just explained, that's budgeting. And that's kind of what Romero had to deal with when he was rewriting Day of the Dead. He had to sort of, he had to scale everything back and that's what happens. But what we ended up getting was such a tense, friggin' just, just, just scathing commentary, uh, social commentary, but super tense uh, civilians versus the army in this bunker, a race for time to figure out a solution to a problem that is frankly unsolvable. When the dead have a ratio, as Dr. Logan Frankenstein says in the film, the dead, the ratio of dead to living is one to 400,000 at this point. A hastily thrown operation uh, in the end days of Washington, D.C. They throw this operation together. They put them in the bunker uh, in Florida, and they're trying to figure out uh, a, a solution. They're running out of chemicals and supplies and fresh specimens, and the military clashes. It's like the military clashes with the scientists, and it's just great. It's freaking great. That scene in the mess hall where um, Captain Rhodes tells uh, Sarah that she needs to sit down or else she's going to be shot is so tense. It's just so you're biting your nails. And so it just bums me out that Glenn couldn't see it for what it was. But again, I can understand why he would be upset. I would be let down too. The original concept for day was supposed to be so huge, so big. It, as it turns out, Day of the Dead is one of George Romero's favorite films. Oh my God. I, whew, 
think I'm, I'm running out of gas here. Yes, we do need Sam Hain on Spotify. I have told Steve Zing this. I said, Steve, go tell Glenn what's going on. You know, something, you know, anything. I've said it to, I've shouted this from the rooftops wherever I can. I said the same thing to Pete. I said the same thing to Davey Calabrese, just anybody who will listen to me. I said, come on, we need this Sam Hain vinyl. Uh, Chris says, Day of the Dead is one of the goriest movies of its time. How does he not? Yeah, dude, exactly. Like, where? what, what a disconnect. Like, come on, dude. It's so gory and awesome. The end, Joe got him. Oh, Joe got him. Uh, yeah, I thought it was never going to be able to see the Misfits. They make very little money. So that, wow, really? Wait. Yeah, I thought I was never going to be able to see the Misfits. I make very little money. So that video was a lifesaver for me. So I saw them on June 29th at the Citibank Arena. You know, I'm really glad to hear that that video performed that service for you. It makes me really happy, and it makes all the work worth it. So I'm really glad that you enjoyed it, truly. That's awesome. Thank you for that comment. Uh, come on, Bub. Yeah, Bub is a great zombie. He, You know, Bub, Bub is like, he's kind of like Frankenstein, you know, in the sense of like Logan and Frankenstein. He's like kind of this, um, he, he, he's sort of like a tragic monster. I really like Bub a lot. Um, I, I wonder how he feels about Fury Road too. I bet he likes it. I bet he likes it. We'd have to ask him. When we ask him about Suspiria, we'll ask him about Fury Road. Let's finish this up, guys. We're, we're at, oh my God, what does he say about Fright Night? Fright Night is a classic. I know my friend Charlie Fitz. Some of you know Charlie. He does the uh, the fig, the Misfits, Sam Hain, Danzig, all the figurines and stuff. Um, uh, he's Charlie Lone Wolf or Wolfman 138, House of Wolfman. Um, he, one of his favorite films is Fright Night. So let's see if what his favorite singer-songwriter says about his favorite film. He writes, Fright Night? Not quite. You know why they call some movies stupid horror films? Because in those flicks, stupid people do stupid things so they can get killed easily. This one has excellent special effects, sometimes outstanding. So why couldn't they have built the basic vampire story they had, which was different and made a great film instead of a stupid horror film? I, I don't know what he's complaining about, dude. Exactly. You're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> Did you know that that dude, Evil Ed, went on to became, become this like crazy gay porn star, like just like doing super hardcore like gangbangs and all sorts of junk. And like, I don't know, I just I thought that was such an what an interesting turn of events to go from being Evil Ed to being, you know, gangbanged. Um, wonder if he's seen The Notebook. Me too. Me too. That's something I do wonder. Do I think Death Rider in the House of Vampires will be good? I think it's going to be phenomenal. And I'm not going to talk about it because I literally did a whole episode on this. Please go check it out. It's on my channel. Subscribe if you're not subscribed to this channel. Um, we got to keep on pressing through these, these things. I just want to say a few things about Fright Night. Uh, Fright Night is a brilliant film directed by Tom Holland, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting. It was wonderful. I mean, that dude just... Phenomenal dude. In any case, um, Fright Night is taking, you're taking Hitchcock, Rear Window, you know, the murderer next door, and you're injecting it with the vampire story. And with, with Van Helsing, you have Van, 
making turning Van Helsing into a horror host like Chiller Theater, like what we were talking about. Like it's just it's just awesome. Hey, thanks for joining us, Ill Message. Have a good night. Um <laughs> Day of the Dead was perfection. I agree. Yeah, it was of course it's awesome. I mean what <laughs> Yeah, what, what, he probably likes Heredity. I bet you he likes Heredity. I bet you he likes, uh, uh, what's the second one? Midsummer. Um, but yeah, Fright Night is awesome, dude. It's awesome, the special effects. The, you get all of the suspense of a, of a Hitchcock film with all of the horror of a Hammer film. It's just, it's the perfect fusion and wonderful. Let's see what he says about Pee Wee. Yes. You have to have faith for that to work, Mr. Vincent. That's right. Let's see what he says about Pee-wee. Pee-wee's Big Top Adventure, Tim Burton's first film. First, let me say, I was always a big Pee-wee fan. So it comes as no surprise to me that this movie was as great as it was. The dance scene in the biker bar is worth the price of admission. I couldn't stop laughing during that whole scene. Lots of funny other funny scenes but I don't want to give it away. He doesn't want to spoil Fright Night for us. I mean, Pee-wee's big adventure, you guys. He doesn't want to spoil it. This is about as good as it gets for comedy. So if you haven't seen this yet, get fucking gone. From September, October of 1985. That is so bizarre to me. I, I can't believe that he was reviewing that late. What is this? Oh, he talks about films. Uh, this is Glenn Danzig's top 10 horror films. Ooh, hard to read. <clears throat> Let's see if I can get a closer look up here. Right, guys, I think this is the final frame. <clears throat> Let's take a look. Yeah, all right. I'm going to try to... Oh, can't really can't read this stuff. All right, so it says, one, The Howling. It's like a really good portrayal of where of what werewolves are like. Yeah, because werewolves are real, and he knows exactly what they're like. It's not like stupid bullshit. They don't look like a guy, you know, who's not whose nose is turned up. It's like they change. They change shape, shape at will, right? It doesn't have to be a full moon. So that's true if you re read about werewolves and shit. It's not silver bullets or bullshit. In that... They have silver bullet. They have the silver bullet, maybe, but I can't. I can't read this. Uh, he says, "But I hate American Werewolf in London. I think it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen." Yeah, it was funny. I don't like funny horror movies. I like real horror movies. Huh? Interesting. He says something else. I can't read. He says. Number two is a toss-up, but I'm going to give you The Omen. The Omen Part 3, The Final Conflict. Okay, so it's The Omen Part 3, The Final Con Conflict. I like the first one a lot. The first one, oh, so he's doing an interview here. That's why. Okay, I can't, I'm not going to read this. Oh, God. I feel like such an incompletionist if I don't do the reading. This is really annoying. Oh, my God, this goes on and on. This is really cool, but I just can't read this right now. Let's save this. Let's save this part. We kind of went over this. He talks about Maniac. He talks about Videodrome. He talks about Night of the Living Dead, The Omen, Evil Dead. Um, that's what it is. He's doing a top 10 thing. And it's a whole interview. 
Earth is pain. Welcome it. Look, it's Steve, everybody. And it's Pete. Yay. And that's it. That is the thing. I'm sure he likes Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, yeah, man, I wasn't expecting to be a fan of Pee Wee either. That's kind of funny, right? Kind of interesting how that stuff works. Um, I, I would have never, never expected it. Oh, my God. Woohoo! What a show, what a show, what a show. Well, I got to tell you, I'm feeling a lot better than I was at the beginning of the show when I was all bummed out about, like, you know, how my movie was like, you know, like died. You know, if you missed the beginning of this episode, please go subscribe and take a look. Um, I can't keep those those glasses on. I'm like dying. And I don't even know why I have these headphones on. I don't need them at all. Oh, okay, that's better. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically it basically it speaking of return of the living dead i have the production designer coming very soon i did an interview with him and i just haven't gotten around to editing it uh because i've been so busy so i want to edit that i have to fix some of the the issues with the zoom call we did kind of overlapping on each other see what i can salvage from that and uh i'm gonna throw that up i got uh, another guest for pizza punk coming up you definitely know who this guest is he's worked with the misfits i i don't want to if i say anything more than that i'll give away who it is uh i plan to ask him some interesting misfits questions from a different era of the band um is this last bit no this last bit is not from the puss head interview it's from something else uh I know, Chris, we really should read that other part. I, I, I can't do it, though. Not right now. We'll, we'll, we will. I'll, I'll get back to it. We'll, we'll, we'll do a housekeeping thing at the beginning of the next episode. I think we're going to switch over. We're going to do some Jerry-only content, I think. I'm not sure. Uh, I have a lot of fun uh, sort of uh, taking a look at, at the Jerry side of things. But this was fun. This was a good episode. He hates Fright Night, but he made Veronica. I know. Like, what is up with that? It's so bizarre. Uh, once again, Jeff, had a blast night. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Hey, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your contributions and your, uh, your, your, your dialogues. Thank you, Rue. Uh, as always, as always with the cough cool and whatnot. Um, trying to think if I have anything else to say. Normally, I would try and go to three hours, but I don't think I can. I'm just like kind of exhausted. I have such a long, big day tomorrow. So I might just end it here. Um, I don't think there's anything else. Hey, I'm so glad you like the channel. Please subscribe if you have not subscribed. Very important. Hey, see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad you tuned in as well. Chris, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on tonight's screen, uh, stream. Hey, thank you, Paul Dog. Um, trying to think of anything else that's coming up that I can plug tomorrow night. Okay, since I have so many of you here, guys, guys, 
Tomorrow night, I'm doing another live stream with my film community. I straddle so many communities. I'm doing a, a it's like a panel. And what we do, it's, it's, it's show and tell. We pick a Blu-ray from our collection and we go around and we talk about our relationship with the movie and the, the, the release itself. And then we open it up for conversation. It is a, such a fun, we've had, we've done two of them so far. It's called uh, Real Peaks uh, Blu-ray Roundtable Show and Tell sort of thing. Uh, and we're doing one tomorrow night at nine. So it's the same time. Please feel free to join us. Uh, I'd love to get some cross crossover from uh, considering that so many of you enjoy talking about horror movies. Uh, I think you really appreciate uh, this kind of show. I know that I uh, really enjoy doing it. I think I'm going to talk for another two minutes. I'll end it at, at 45 is what I'll do. So check that out. Like I said, we got the pizza punk. like the post show we do the pre-show and we do the post show um i told you about what's going on with that other stuff um <laughs> oh my god my my throat is shredded right now from talking you know what else i gotta tell you you know one last thing um so i try to i'm trying to turn this live stream into an audio version for spotify um and I'm waiting and I still, I, I was doing it through this service, this free service. You can turn stuff into, into podcasts for Spotify. And, and so far, I've, none of my episodes have posted. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. JK, bro. Uh, none of my episodes have posted on Spotify yet. And I'm a little annoyed. <laughs> he loves Pee Wee. So he should have had Paul Rubens and Death Rider. He probably could have gotten him too, very easily. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm hoping to get that stuff on uh, Spotify. We will see what happens. Uh, by the way, I just want to say I'm super uh, – no, I don't want to jinx it. Don't want to jinx it. We're not going to jinx it. But, uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. See if it, it plays on Spotify. If it's on Spotify, you can play it. Um, there's, a, there's a couple pennies my way. So, once again, one last time I'm going to say this in the last 30 seconds of this broadcast. Please subscribe. Leave a comment, leave a like here, um, rent a movie in the, in the description, buy a t-shirt, um, lots of different ways to support the channel, uh, blah, 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 this is just going on and on. Well, we do have one way that we have a very special way that we end the show. When we end the show, we say peace and hair grease. He does hate American Werewolf, I know. Make <laughs> it <laughs>